To the Ether. Today is Monday, January 31st, 2022. This episode of the Ether is brought to you by WeFund. WeFund is a community crowdfunding cross-chain incubator on Terra, and it's the first launchpad that implements a milestone funding release system to protect investors. All money raised for projects is deposited in Anchor Protocol and is refundable, and all decisions are based on community voting power. WeFund is community-focused and designed to be a user-friendly experience for both project creators and investors. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the Telegram server for more information. Links are in the show notes. And be sure to check them out online at wefund.app. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Luart. Luart is the first gamified NFT platform built on the Terra network. Luart provides a seamless minting and trading experience, all while earning you rewards just for being a user. Be sure to follow them on Twitter and join the community in Discord for the most up-to-date news and announcements regarding all the hot new NFT launches, platform upgrades, and new projects hitting the secondary marketplace. Are you ready to put your helmet on and join the movement? Find out more at luart.io. TerraSpaces appreciates the support of all our sponsors. Today on the Ether, we have the Advius chat taking place in the Terra Investment Strategies Discord server, courtesy of Orbital Command. Let's take a listen. Hi guys. OP from Advius to Open. How's it going? Good, thank you. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I haven't really done much reading on Advius. I saw a little bit about well, I, I felt your document was relatively technical for me. Um, is, is it? I mean, at first glance, I was thinking. Oh, sorry, we'll not start the questioning yet. Actually, till everyone starts coming in. Um, usually, the I'll, format. I'll post a white sorry. paper right here for anyone to take a look at. Okay, that that would be cool. And the voice questions. Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah, so usually when I mean we've only been doing these Discord things for a few well, a month or so, but like we just kind of ask you a little bit about yourself and then. If you're able to introduce your protocol and then say anything you want to say and then people just kind of jump in questions, is that going to be right for you? Yeah, of course. Perfect. Yeah, I'm looking for as much feedback as possible. You know, I really want to hone in like what people want. So, okay. Hey guys, will we have time after this um, presentation to ask a few quick general questions? Yeah, for yeah, yeah. Not so much even about the protocol, the uh, advice, but like Terra, general Terra, like knowledge questions. I suppose, I suppose, yeah, we can do that a bit, a bit later, maybe. If we give Opie sort of half an hour, forty-five minutes or so for Advius stuff, and then how do we pronounce it? Um, Advius. Yeah, maybe sort of thirty minutes, forty-five minutes ish, Advius, and then after that, we can just riff for as long as you want. Perfect. Okay. We wait a little bit, or should we start? Um, if we just give it another couple of minutes, just see if anyone else is. And we've got Finn here. He's recording, or he's pressed record. I think he might be popping out actually. 
um, you'll have some editing to do afterwards. And sorry, Opie, you were saying you you were going to post the white paper. I'm a, must be a bit of a Discord noob. I can't see it. Uh, it's in the voice questions. It's it's the oh, link okay, to the awesome. book. Yeah, it's not. Awesome. It, it's a working white paper in the moment, so it's not um, finalized. But that's what it is at the moment. Awesome. Right. So yeah, voice questions for the working white paper. Let's fire that up just now myself. And are you thinking of like talking us through this, or is this just more for sort of general reference afterwards? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll we can it it. I was just gonna, I guess, explain a little bit what it does, but I could okay. walk through it a little bit. It's a few interesting things because a lot of it is maybe a little technical. So having you know, we, I try to put as many visuals as possible uh, in, the, in the book. So cool. Maybe. maybe I, a little. I, was there something you had? Maybe it was a Twitter post I saw. It was like a sort of infographic type thing. Right. I ring a bell. Yeah. I, yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by like visuals. Because, you know, some of it, it like what, explaining a lot of the, the concepts and, and the strategies that can be accomplished, it's like it, it's really long and ongoing. So to just have it out there in, in a one image, it makes it a lot easier to understand. Oh. That's what I'm speaking sometimes. I just think I'm like, there's no way no anyone can follow this because it's just numbers and (laughs) a lot of math that you have to do. Yeah, sure. I'm looking at the protocol design. Exactly. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's that's pretty full on. Right. Well, we've we've just just passed eight o'clock. So welcome, Opie from Advias Protocol. Um, how how long have you guys been sort of developing? So, you know. Last year, we began exploring a couple ideas um, early last year, and it kind of the original idea wasn't to do this, but it kind of transformed into this um, maybe like four months ago about. But we've been working on it since early last year. Okay, cool. And how about the name? It doesn't sort of roll off my tongue anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> To be honest, I, I think it means like to bridge since we're going to be like a agnostic protocol. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, we're not, you know, we're not finalized on it, but it's likely going to be the name. But you are right. It's not, it doesn't roll off the tongue too easily. I suppose if it does have like a, a, a hidden meaning or that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, a little bit. Um, so you're not specifically then going to be building on Terra. So is, is, are you basically... Yeah, actually, we're not even going. Well, this protocol isn't going to be on Terra. It's going to be on every other protocol that uh, integrates into the wormhole that integrates into Terra. So we we do have another protocol we're working on that's going to be on Terra, which I can maybe get into later on. But uh, and it benefits Advius. Um, but we're gonna. So wormhole is a bridge. Um, I'm sure maybe. A lot of you guys may or may not know about it, but Wormhole is a uh, kind of like a, a cutting edge technology bridge that is being integrated with Anchor. So we're using this system called ETH Anchor, but we're not going to be likely launching on Ethereum. So at the moment, Anchor is coming out with a V2 of this integration system. So we're going to be benefiting Terra and Anchor and really UST because we're going to be that's going to be our primary asset uh, 
within our protocol. So we're basically going to be using wrapped UST on um, Solana, which we're building right now, uh, Oasis, which is the Rose uh, token or coin, um, Binance, um, Avalanche, and uh, Polygon. So we're going to be launching on at all of those uh, blockchains, and then they're going to integrate into Terra. So how specifically then are you going to be using or making use of, AS, of UST? So, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, th- so UST, so everything in the protocol, any stable asset is either going to be all UST on the back end or it's going to be partially UST. So UST on its own is going to be our primary uh, collateral asset. So you can put in UST as collateral to get back another stable asset as debt. And then, and then as far as um, what I mentioned being partially, when you put in your assets uh, as a deposit for yield, because by the way, it's, it's a lending and borrowing protocol on the surface. Um, when you put in your assets for yield as a depositor, we have this rebalancing algorithm that with a goal of being at a certain interest rate. So some of it will go to anchor and some of it will stay in the lending pool in order, which so basically in order to like keep it, say you want at 10% and there's a um, hundred, a uh, hundred of whatever, like die or USDC and anchors giving 20%, we would send a little bit to anchor and to accomplish this because if you without doing the math right now but basically you send a little bit to anchor in order to accomplish that 10 that 10 percent so a hundred dollars if you were to put it into advius say we had no borrowers at the moment uh you would send 50 of it to anchor because 50 at a 20 percent apy accomplishes the same yield as 100 dollars does at a 10 percent apy if that makes sense. Okay. Propoyak, um, other guys, you feel free to come in with questions. I'm just trying to think. So if I was wanting to use or considering using Advius, as like, I mean, I do most of my stuff on Terra. Uh, that's not your target market. Is that right? Or I'm not your target market. So, well, so our target market is, I guess, it's a very wide spectrum. We can do anyone from who maybe, so personally for me, I like to use many blockchains and many assets. I don't really, I don't concentrate. Uh, No, it's kind of like a risk management type of deal for me. Um, But you can deposit your assets in here with other stable assets to get a yield, but you're kind of benefiting from Terra yields on Anchor. Also, you can be a super savvy uh, borrower and you want to create a, a strategy that kind of increases your leverage and or yield depending on what you're doing. So that's kind of like if our main, the main reason we started doing Advius uh, and we switched into this is because we can't came up with an idea or I, or I did to kind of have this Delta positive debt positioning situation where you can make money while taking out debt without having to worry about, um, you know, without having to really like watch 
what's going on because you know a lot of, there's a lot of this like delta arbitrage that a lot of sophisticated uh traders do which you don't really hear too much about it you know but a lot of them do that with like curve um and yearn and you know with and, and they're crossing blockchains and this and that so what we do is we formulate it to guarantee this delta positive like lossless debt strategy but yeah i i don't know if that answers the target market but it's really it like brings a wide range of people who want to do something are you only using terra uh, i'll be i mean i used to use avalanche i used to use what else did i use matic but yeah, I, I like Terra. So I've got, pra- well, not, not all my assets are here, but the majority of my assets are on Terra. Right. And I just like the look and feel of, I mean, yeah, so I like look and the feel of the apps here. But I mean, anything that's going to, are you going to make use of Anchor Borrow or is it just Anchor Deposit? Yeah, ju- yeah, just just the depositing section. Okay. So all, all the borrowing for Advius is going to be our own ecosystem. Because right. I did see something in a graphic that was saying like you could take, I don't know if it's wrapped UST then, wrapped UST, deposit into Advius, and then get out like 90% or borrow it in like 90%. Is that right? Borrow die. Yeah. Yeah. All of our, our loan to value ratio at the moment is going to be 90%. Uh, to be honest, that made me start thinking of like this DGen box thing. Is it so essentially you could put in a hundred dollars, get out ninety, switch that for UST, put it back in out eighty or whatever, keep switching and like looping your I and UST. Yeah, right. that, I mean, they both seem pretty stable, I suppose, but that I suppose that just makes me worry a little bit. There, so. Um, well, what would the concern be exactly? It will, exactly. So, I mean, I, I can't even verbalize the concern. It's just a sort of vague I guess. Of, I guess the yes. concern is yeah. just a little bit from the anchor side. Like, does that, again, put us in a situation where the ratio of depositors to borrowers is diverging? And I, I guess potentially, like, um, speeding up the time at which the yield on, anchor, on the earn side uh, has to come down, um, thereby making Anchor less competitive from a stablecoin yield standpoint in the greater DeFi environment. Yeah, I mean, that is unfortunately in- inevitable, in my opinion. I There's always going to be more depositors than there are borrowers. Even at some point, Ave, for instance, they had a 90% uh, APY on like USDC at you know in the beginning of the bull market because there were uh, a lot of borrowers but then all of a sudden everyone started depositing so but yeah that is something that is I mean yeah technically we would be contributing to that but you know as the ecosystem grows on Terra it's just going to have to be that way but yeah that is that is definitely a concern yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's about managing that. Like for me, it's about managing that growth curve for Anchor to make sure that like there's just unfortunately a lot of like 
publicity that gets attracted to this like yield reserve going down and the ratio of borrowers to to lender uh, to uh depositors and it ultimately i think it's a non-issue but in the short term it seems to be leading to quite a bit of like fud in the terra ecosystem which is like you know just annoying <laughs> i guess no, i i agree whole, yeah i really agree Every time I see people promoting Anchor, I just go like, do you know what you're doing right now? <laughs> well, it's like you want to promote it, but yeah. um, we want to make sure that we're like growing it in a sustainable way to where we can achieve a kind of, um, and I'm not speaking for the Anchor team here. I'm just saying like for myself, like if I was in charge of Anchor, I'd want to make sure I, I was growing it in a way where we achieve an inflection point on user adoption and like the network effect becomes unstoppable before we like, like we don't want to take the short term gain necessarily and sacrifice long term total network adoption growth. And I'm not saying that's what that's what like, I'm not saying this is what would cause that. I'm just saying like, that's how I think about it. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure Amazon in the beginning had like a million opportunities it could pursue, but they chose, you know, a specific strategy like books, you know, and they did just books for a while until they hit some magic threshold or whatever. And then they went into the next thing and then they, you know, it, they didn't start trying to sell everything to everybody all at once in the in the beginning kind of a thing. Anchor is still very young, actually. Yeah, that's yeah, that's for sure. I mean, this is, this is more on Anchor than and on Advius. I mean, Anchor facilitates what Advius are creating. So therefore, I mean, Advius are quite sort of at liberty to go for it. Well, yeah, I mean, so. I'm not too. I know Loop is probably what you're. I think you said or referred to. I don't know exactly what they're doing on the back end, so I can't really speak too much on it. But for us, I mean, a lot of the UST would. It's it's kind of like already in existence in a way, and we're just kind of depositing into it. So we would be doing that, but I mean, I guess yeah, I guess it would contribute to it a little bit. But it's coming from other chains as well. Yeah. So ultimately, we're funneling assets to increase the liquidity, which is a you know UST. The more uh, market cap it has, the better it's off it is. But we're taking yeah, like USDC sure. and and we're we're funneling it into UST. I mean, not good for USDC, but good for UST. What oracles are you guys going to use to maintain the um, the connection between? Um, the various stable coins that people are lending and borrowing and the pegs. Um, yeah. For EVM at the moment, it's chain link. Okay. So, cool. By the way, I don't know if you entered uh, earlier or not, but we're, we're not launching on Terra. So we're, we're like a wormhole integrated. If anyone doesn't know what the wormhole is, I'll actually post a link, but uh, we're, 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 we're launching on other um, chains that will integrate into Terra. So we're going to be using Chainlink for for currently what we're doing, but we are going to be we're building out Solana at the moment. Um, and I, I I forget the name of the the company that we're using for that though. It's a different it's a different one. Sorry, so you're so you're going to be launching on Solana? Is that what you're saying? So we're going to be launching on um, every single chain that wormhole 
uh, support. So Avalanche, Oasis, Binance, Polygon, Solana, and possibly Ethereum. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, because I, I believe, and like I said, I never used uh, the DGEM box myself, but I, re- I remember seeing from people that I'd used it that one of the feedbacks was that, you know, the fees <laughs> coming with um, with Ethereum actually meant that they didn't even break even until like a month or something into it. Like they actually needed to leave it for a bit to even, you know, break even because of the fees. Uh, that accompanied with the process and everything um, and like doing the loop and everything. It just it ended up taking a while for them. So it's good to yeah. hear that you're going for cheaper blockchains as long as they can stay oh, functional yeah. as Solana's case, I guess. Yeah, it's a big, I mean, you know, Advius is a pretty big protocol. We were going to launch on Ethereum um, while it was at like $4,000 but we did the math. It was going to cost us like $95,000 just to launch it. But we ended up not doing it. Kind of ridiculous. So when have you, do you, I mean, do you have a launch date or is it? Just so the at future? the moment, Anchor is going through a, an audit on their second version, which of their wormhole integration. Um, it's supposed to be done in February. So when that is done is when we're going to start that trek and figure out when we're going to launch. Um, yeah, we don't have a date right now. We're just waiting on that. And then also, we're, so we're talking to like a couple IDL platforms, but it's, it's uh, nothing's definite at the moment. Okay. So just so I've got this clear in my head, you, you, take, you take stable coin deposits. Is that right? Um, yes, mainly. We will branch out to like Luna as well, but in the beginning, it's going to be stable assets. I posted the Twitter in the uh, voice questions for anyone because we're going to be, that's where we're going to be announcing any IDO information. Okay, cool. I mean, I could probably explain a little bit, give like a little brief on Advius for anyone who came in. So we're, we're on the surface, we're a lending and borrowing protocol. But what we do is we allow and facilitate an economy or an ecosystem for uh, lossless and delta positive debt positions. So any, so basically, you know, it's a lending borrowing protocol. So you can deposit your assets, and for depositors, we 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 um, offer a very stable APY because we're able to aggregate into Anchor, um, and we have our own lending pool we're able to give a like essentially a minimum APY It's going to be about 10 to 14%, which is going to depend on utilization of the protocol and how many people are borrowing, et cetera. And every transaction, there is a rebalancing uh, formula that gets triggered and the, the algorithm basically sends funds to anchor or sends funds to the uh, debt pool for borrowers. And in, in the result will be a stable APY between 10 or 14. Um, and then for debt positions, so we're, is, we, we, we're calling it a lossless delta positive uh, position. Um, uh, I would say if, if they look at the, um, the link, the advius.git book in the voice questions chat, if you click on that and... <clears throat> You go to the conceptual design section. 
you can you'll see a little uh infograph so these are some ideas on what you can do with advius and so I'll, I'll, go, I'll go over like the most basic one this is like the trigger of what like hey this is why we started doing this this is the the idea we originally came up with in our heads and said as long as we can come up with a, a formulated ecosystem we can pretty much guarantee this so this is why we started it and then it branched out from there and like there's basically an infinite amount of strategies that can be accomplished with this. And for any developers listening, there's a lot of opportunity to integrate into us. So if any developers are here, feel free to DM me if you would be interested because there's a lot of automating that can be done. Uh, I know we're, we're talking to one other uh, company about that, but we're not sure uh, which strategy they're going to be using. But anyways, so a way to what well, this is a very simple starter strategy. You can take your APY from Anchor and you can increase it 45% into a 29% APY. So, you know, 9% of 20. So how this looks is you're on whichever local chain you want to be on that Advius is on. You take $100,000 of the UST, so the wrapped version, and you deposit it as collateral. Now, you in that same transaction, you get back say $90,000 of USDC. Um, so how this looks is the $100,000 on collateral gets aggregated and sent to Anchor. So it will appreciate on the 20% yield that Anchor gives. And then the debt that you have, that 90000 you owe 10% on APY. So let's just say... Um, you take that USDC, you swap it into UST, and you now have 90,000 UST. You take that UST, and then you bridge it over to Terra, really anywhere you want. But let's just say you're going to bridge it to, into Anchor. So you bridge it into Terra through the wormhole, and or whatever bridging system you want. And then you deposit it into Anchor for the 20%. So at this moment, you have... Your collateral on Anchor, I mean, Advius, getting 20%. And then you have the UST that you took out and swapped into UST, the USDC into USD, that's now in Anchor at a $90,000, at a 20%. So say a year goes by and you need to pay, you want to pay back your loan, whatever. Because we, we, uh, we're going to have um, maximum uh, debt periods in order to like prevent uh, abuse of the system and liquidity issues. So let's say a year goes by and you, you have to pay it back. The debt you owe is 99,000 uh, USDC. So you take out the original 90,000 you put in to Anchor. It's now worth 108,000. Uh, so you take that, bridge it back over to the local blockchain that Advius is on. And then you swap it into the debt asset of UST, pay back the loan. And now you have $9,000 extra because you had 108 and you only owe 99. You now can pay it back and release your collateral and you have 129,000. So the comparison is you can either deposit into Anchor at at a 20% APY and ultimately get 120,000, or you can utilize Advius um, while utilizing other stable assets 
and you know st- swapping and, and doing a little a little bit extra steps and get 129,000. So the difference is a, not a, a either 20% APY or a 29% APY. So that's one way to really that's a, that's like the, the most I would say that's like the most standard way I assume it's going to be used when people are taking out debt. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, but that's like a starter strategy. If that made any sense, or, or I don't know. if you look at if you look at the uh, infograph, it'll make a little bit more sense. It, uh, no, it, it did definitely. Yeah, that's the second time I've looked at it, and it, is, it makes a lot more sense with you explaining it as well. Um, just thinking about that when. If you took a loan of ninety thousand USDC or whatever from Advius, you could literally just swap that on Avalanche or wherever you are for more USD or for more UST. Get back in. Is there anything that on your protocol that would prevent that? Or yeah, so keep yeah. looping. Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest concerns. Um, so. You know, or we, we were, you know, there's a few options that we had. We could have done 0% debt APYs and just had people's collateral pay off the debt. But we would then have to sacrifice the loan to value ratio and lower it, which is why when you see a lot of these protocols, like, like uh, Alchemix, they do delta neutral uh, and they have a 50% loan to value ratio where you're basically borrowing your own assets they can't raise it. Well, they can't raise it because that's kind of like would be almost impossible for for it to have to work like that. But even so, since they have a zero percent, they can't raise it because you can do what you just said. If you if you have a zero percent, there's literally like nothing that is gonna like impact people if you take if you keep looping and looping and looping. So we do have a few measurements to go against that. Um, if you if you can do that, if you do it once. It's not a big deal. Uh, and actually, it kind of works good if you do it once. But since we have the uh, APY of 10% uh, on debt, anytime you do it, you're just increasing how much debt that you have to, you, you have to repay. And so what we do is we, we're stopping any flash loans. So if you want to take a flash loan to repay your debt, we don't let you do that. And... You know, so there's basically two ways to do uh, what you're saying to loop. You can either self-liquidate, which we have a function for that. We're not entirely sure if we're going to release it. And if we do release it, we're going to have like a big penalty if you use it. So mathematically, we're going to figure out like the best uh, penalty. So it's like people don't want to use it, basically. Um, Or if you want to do that, you can take a flash loan to pay back your debt. Um, so what we do is say you're like, oh, I'm going to use the flash loan. Well, what we have is a system where you can't really use a flash loan because in order to use a flash loan, you have to repay the loan in the same transaction. So when you repay your debt, it goes into a different asset uh, that isn't the underlying asset. So when you repay, you have to wait an extra block to take out the underlying asset. So if someone were to do that strategy, it just wouldn't work. But technically, someone could do it. But if you do it, you're going to need to have money. And the reality is, we don't think, and it, 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 it kind of doesn't make sense to do it if you're going to need to have money. In the, like, 
you're going to need to be able to pay it back. And the more debt you take out, the lower your debt becomes. So if you were to say swap a $100,000, right? You you get $100,000 collateral, you get the 90. If you do that again, now you're at 81,000, right? But you only have 72.9,000 in debt now, but you owe, uh, what is it? You're going to owe, I think, 18.1,000 now or 17.1,000. So you're just increasing how much you're, you know, you're, you're just increasing how much you owe, but you have less money to get what you owe. That's it. I mean, there's, so we basically have those three or four different ways to kind of stop people from even wanting to do that. So ultimately, the only way you can do that is if you have the funds to do that. And if you have the funds to do that, you're likely not even going to do it because it, you can just you can use those funds in better ways. Yep. It definitely sounds quite confusing to me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, need to, I need to make a, um, um, a, uh, an infograph for that one because it's a little bit ridiculous. But we do have um, if you look on the questions tab on the Git book, we do have that question, uh, I believe. Uh, and it goes over uh, a few of the things that we have. I mean, just to sum yeah. it up, to, to make it a little less complicated, you can, the only, if you do the looping thing, you have to pay back your debt. So how are you going to pay back your debt if, you, you know, if you're, you're increasing your debt that you owe and decreasing the amount of debt that you have every loop? right? Because your, your debt position is growing, but you get less back to you because you're, you know, you're looping it. And then the only way to pay that off is through a two ways is a flash loan and or what did I say before? I don't even, I don't even know, but a flash loan is really the way that people are doing it. So, and, and we stop the flash loans because we don't allow people to take out the underlying asset in that same transaction, basically. So it stops people from doing it. Basically. I, th- those are the way it is a little complicated. I should make an infograph for it. So it's okay, well, a good visual on it, but yeah. That that definitely might help. We'll leave, we'll leave that one there for now. Then, um, Taryn, Taryn had a question. Taryn, do you want to jump on and ask it yourself? Okay, Taryn's not on voice at the moment. Is it a guy or a girl? Um, he said he can't chat at the moment. Yeah, Taryn is asking: Are you planning on remaining anonymous? Or I mean, are any of your team doxed or? Oh, what? Uh, yeah, probably going to stay anonymous. I feel like being anonymous allows, well, personally for me, I think I can do a lot more in this space. I mean, like, let's be real. Uniswap kind of got compromised uh, and they bow down. I don't want to have to be compromised. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. That's all <laughs> our own choice. That's really the reason. Cause I was thinking about, you know, being public and trying to gain a following and all that, but I don't even want to be in that position of, of being compromised because I don't even want to have to deal with, with that possibility. I think I can do a lot more if I'm not. Yeah, fair, fair argument. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm semi-public, I suppose. Don't have a, a much to lose, so <laughs> maybe that's why. Um, secondly, Taryn was asking about an audit. Oh, okay. Well, I'll answer Taryn real quick. He's saying Uniswap. Um, yeah, Uniswap bowed down to to the man by uh, they took off all their synthetic assets. Like they they 
they did do that. It's not, you know, they're able to take things down. They didn't stick to their original white, their, you know, their original idea of, of being decentralized. You're saying that's because they were public figures? Well, yeah, because they were, they were able to be contacted. And they, you know, they, they probably want to grow. They probably have VC money now. You know, being a part of that little club, like, I mean, not to be all like conspiracy or whatever, but like the reality is once you take the VC money, you're, you're kind of like on their strings. Um, so I'm going to try to stay as far away as possible from having that. Like, the reality is like once you're a public figure, it, 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 when it comes to like the business stuff, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're compromised. It's like, um, uh, now, see, I would like to say I would never do those types of things, but I don't even want to be in a position to make that type of uh, decision. I don't even want to be in that. It's like not possible for me. It's, it's a, so I kind of want to be in like a trustless relationship with the blockchain. Like I'm a robot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just looking at um, your Twitter um, page, ideal soon. So Advius is going to have a token. Is that right? Oh yes, yeah. So, yeah, the token. Um, yeah, so, are you, do you want to hear about the token, or do you want to go over? Uh, does anyone have any questions about the protocol at all? Anyone feel free to. Yeah, you got anything? Or anyone else? I can. I can check in uh, regarding your. Uh, how's your liquidations going to happen? Because uh, I know we're working with stable coins here, but it's like a lot of this sounds very similar to, like I said, kind of the or the the DGEN box. Um, there are some differences, of course, and one of the major ones are that you guys are, you know, not on Ethereum, but uh, but yeah, there, there's I got I got a bunch of questions, but the first one, yeah, just how how would you run the liquidations? Yeah, like, so. <clears throat> Liquidations are very unlikely uh, because you're it's a, it's a sta- they're stable to stable, so it's it's super unlikely unless one of them loses peg. Uh, but we have a so we're working with a few options. But what we're likely going to do is a one year maximum on your uh, debt positions. Um, reality is most strategies are well optimized before a year really really every few months maybe even less uh, because you know so for instance if you take out a loan and you're really trying to increase your debt position you're going to want to pay back your debt take out the yield from your collateral because you're making money and then re and then recycle it to take out more debt so you're going to want to do that once the gas prices make sense to you um so a year is like a we think that is actually kind of overkill but we're still going to do a year because it's, you know, it's, it's a year, um, very standard thing. So we're going to do a year maximum. So anytime if someone has a position and it's over a year, we're going to allow people to come in um, and liquidate them either. Uh, so currently it's going to be a certain percentage of their debt. And then the reward is going to be the collateral to debt ratio. So let, let's assume you have... Well, make it simple. You have one hundred and twenty thousand in collateral valued, and then you have a hundred thousand in debt. Someone comes in, and we go, "Hey, you can you can liquidate uh, half of their position, so fifty thousand. 
uh, and your reward is going to be the collateral to debt ratio, which is 1.2. So they'll be able to repay that person's debt and then uh, get a reward of $10,000 for repaying it. So the 50,000 uh, multiplied by 1.2. But other other than that, we do have a, uh, a the other way of, a, of like the downside, but the downside is only possible if somebody loses peg. So it's going to be almost very unlikely. So when a year comes, it's going to be a lot of vultures. But, and okay, thank you for that. But I mean, and also, but if you are considering to adding other assets that aren't stable assets, then it'll be a completely different discussion, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, so yeah, with those, it's going to be the loan to value ratio. Basically, we 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 um we have a liquidation contract and. We have the loan to value side, so that, so that so what you're referring to, and it's going to be the uh, loan to value ratio. So that's going to so if it goes lower, you'll be able to uh, take them out and and liquidate it. It's going to be it's, it, you know it's going to be the same thing as uh, you know anchor. I will actually the first version won't because it's going to be. Um, it's going to be not like they, they allow like an array of liquidations and people like bid on it. We're just going to have a very lightweight, like similar to like compound or anchor or uh, Ave in the beginning, at least. So, yeah, you, you will be able to be liquidated. Perfect. Um, thank you for that. Uh, hit, me, hit me with the questions. OK, I, I, I might as well continue because I'm, I'm trying to understand. Um, Sorry, I know you already Rebel already asked this and you you explained it, but I'm I'm trying to get I'm trying to kind of understand it how you the way you prevent looping and then repaying of the death debt by doing like somebody that has looped it. Um, is it like do, are you saying that every everything needs to be paid back at once, or can I not pay down my loan in increments? Uh, but no, you can pay it in increments. Okay. And but the thing is, is that when you loop, ultimately you're low. So we have the ninety percent loan to value. So every single time you do it, you're only getting ninety percent of what you put in. So every time, every loop you do, you lower the amount of of the asset that you have as debt. But the amount that you have. Uh, that's going to accrue in debt is way bigger. Like you know, like, so if you loop once, you're gonna get um, eighty eighty one thousand. If you had a hundred, if you had a hundred, if you had a hundred thousand um, <clears throat> to start, but you will have one hundred and seventy one thousand dollars worth of debt, right? But you only have eighty one thousand dollars, and then you're gonna owe. 17.1 for the 10%, 171, right? So you're just increasing that, right? And I'm not sure how uh, the DGen box does all that. I, I, I should look, and I, I need to look into that, but I'm not sure how to repay it, but you can't use flash loans with us. So if you're trying to do a flash loan system, it just won't work. So you're, you're kind of like, it basically, so someone who wants to do that, if you do it once, it works mathematically. But if you keep doing it, you're making it harder and harder and harder every single time, unless you can find a place to put the debt to pay it back. Because essentially, the only people who are going to do it 
are the people who have the, enough money and liquidity in their wallets to repay it. But if they have all of that, why wouldn't they just use, why wouldn't they just put that into a, de- a debt instrument that gives them yield? It just kind of like wouldn't make sense in a way. Do you know how they, do you know how they uh, repay those? I'm I'm honestly not 100. percent I was actually kind of looking into that right now. That the one thing I do know is that they're the higher because that's the thing. Like they get these uh, APYs over like up to I think they say you could get up to 160 percent, right? Um, but I believe what happens is that your like LTV goes up dramatically. Um, so it's somehow in that kind of way that they do it because you you get like the risk of actually getting liquidated. And even if we're just talking about stable coins gets much, much higher to the point where you could probably run it up to where, you know, you got a 99% LTV, which like, uh, I mean, if it falls off the, like if it just falls off the peg or something, but a percentage too, and then, then you're screwed. So, so do they use their own asset? Is that how it works? The MIM or spell? Yes. Yeah, That's we're not. Yeah, we don't have our own asset within the ecosystem. So we're so those types of. Cause I, know, I, I so I know how Alchemix works. I don't know if it's the same. I I actually don't think at all it is the same. But with Alchemix, they have their own asset that you know they give value and people give value to that you can use to increase your positionings. Uh, we don't have our own asset. Like these are strictly like lending pools, uh, and we um, formulate it. So every asset is relative to one another, and we guarantee that delta positive uh, and uh, lossless scenario. So I just I don't think we think we have it covered on those things. You know, the strategy for us that we can only think of, or there's a few, but like the main one would be the flash loan strategy to pay back that debt. Like you know, you can turn a dollar into a billion. But then you have to pay back the, you know, the hundred million dollars. How are you going to do that? And like, maybe you get a flash loan, but for us, we don't, we don't, we have a flash loan stopper based or the logic doesn't allow for it at least. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Okay. That definitely is a concern. I mean, if, uh, if, I mean, if you see anything you think you should bring to my attention, that yeah, definitely please. I, I, I'm really looking for as much feedback as possible. Uh, like we we already took feedback from like the anchor forum. Uh, we originally weren't going to put AUST as a collateral asset, but now we are because people were saying, and we got a couple people telling us they wanted it. So yeah, any feedback? We're really trying to like make sure everyone, you know, we we want to do what the community wants. So uh, if as a as a curious question and don't don't take this in a negative way uh, it's it's not intended that way <laughs> uh, but what's the threshold for somebody else doing like with a project like this what's the threshold of getting in and doing this like what what prevents somebody else from doing the exact same thing and what keeps well, in if it's if it's not too complicated to do because it's because it's a pretty straightforward concept, right? Uh, and what what makes you guys like what what makes Advias like special? Yeah, I mean, you know, once an, once an idea is out there, it's it's out there. Um, so anyone can copy it. But no one's doing this at the moment. Like, there's literally no one doing this. 
Um, so like first, first, what's it called first player or whatever it's called, like uh, yeah, advantage. yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Now, <laughs> yeah, I know you're saying, um, yeah, technically, could someone take our code and copy it? Yeah, I mean, of course, but um, we we would like to think most developers in the community are looking to innovate and not copy. I mean, obviously, most protocols, like you look at Compound, for instance, they've been copied a million times. But, yeah, I mean, anyone can do it. But also, the protocol is, like, over 20 contracts. It's not as it's, – it's pretty complicated. Like, if you go look at Aave or even just Anchor or, – or actually, no, Aave is more closely resembles. But if you look at Aave and go to their GitHub – we're almost equally as big as they are when it comes to uh, the uh, contract sizing and, and amount of contracts. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And can you tell us how many people are in your team? It's actually mainly just me. I do outsource a little bit. Okay. I have like, you know, I have people helping, but it's, it's, it's primarily just me. I, I come do from you... a, a background outside of tech. So I don't have like the most amount of connections in this industry. So I, I you know, I didn't, you know, I, but I've been programming for like eight years. But so that's why you're, basically you're doing it all in the coding, the marketing. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, that's just done forty-five minutes. We've learned a little bit. I think I think I've learned a little bit more about how Advius is going to be working. Um, if anyone's got any questions specific to Advius, you're more than welcome to jump on now. Maybe, maybe I should go over to Tokenomics real quick to hit a couple minutes. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, so, um, I personally hate ERC twenty tokens, CW twenties that do nothing. So, you know, I actually originally wasn't going to come out with a token, but you know, basically, it's very important. You know, in today's you know ecosystem of cryptocurrencies, it's very important to do it. So, I um, was thinking about what would it make me want to uh, actually buy a token, right? Um, by the way, this there's a infograph in the Git book under Advia token. So we came up with this system, or, or I did, that is called the uh, we call it the perpetual reward distribution system, <laughs> something like that. And basically how it works is, you know, similar to um, Anchor or Aave, we have uh, the receipt tokens, which, you know, Anchor is called the Anchor token, which gives you AUST, but they only have UST. So, and then Aave has the A token, which gives you like ADI, AUSDC, ABTC. So we have a token called the Avis token. And it's just like, that, that's basically how uh, the protocol operates. That's like the tokenization around it, right? Not the tradable token, though, but you could trade it if you wanted. So when you participate in the protocol by depositing, taking out debt, you then are able to get a yield in the Advius token, which is the actual token that trades on you know exchanges. So how, how this works is each reward creates rewards, that creates rewards. It's a never ending, like kind of look at it like uh, if people are familiar with like a Fibonacci, it's kind of very similar to that, how it constantly grows. And then it's like, it's just like, it just grows and grows off itself. Uh, so when you get into the protocol, 
and you're, you get your yield in the Advius token. The Advius token gives you uh, rewards in the, the Avis token, which is the yielding token. And you know maybe I should give a uh, an explanation. So the way Advius makes money is through appreciation, the protocol of itself. So, and this is how Aave and I assume Anchor also makes money. So when, say there's a billion dollars in uh, lending assets that are deposited, if the APY is a consistent 10%, at the end of the year, it'll be 1.1 um, billion. So $100 million has appreciated. So obviously this happens every block. So it's not, this is you know just mathematically. So if you take, we, what we do to make money is at 100 million, we'll take 10% of it and we'll mint it to ourselves in the yielding token. And the, the end user, um, and because this happens every block, they're just getting 9%. So they think that they have 9% the, the entire time. And on the, on the back end, it's really 10, and then the protocol is taking 10%. So we take a piece of the appreciation. So we don't, we're not actually like, there's no fees on users. It's just the appreciation. Um, so the reason I mentioned this is because half of that 10% goes into uh, a dividend vault. So every single token, the, the Avis DAI token, the Avis USDC token, and wh- whatever else we have will go into this. So when you own the Advius token, the tradable token, you get the second you get a position, you're now entered into this pie. Now, similarly to when you provide uh, liquidity on swapping pools, they say if you put it in, like if you own 1% of it, you get 1% of the fees. That's kind of how this works. If you own 1% of the Advius token, you now are able to claim at any time um, 1%, you know, accordance to time and, and uh, you know, that relationship of the Avis token. And then when you claim the Avis token, that then gives you more Avis tokens, which then gives you more rewards in the Advius token, which then repeats and repeats and repeats in the constantly. So just as an example, if you own, if there's a billion dollars total value locked and you own uh, 0.1% of the entire supply of Advius tokens, you'll generate $50,000 in dividends alone. And, you know, if you own 1%, it'll be 500,000. If you own 0.01%, you'll get 5,000. And a lot of us own 0.01% of a lot of tokens. If you go look at like any, you know, uh, the supply and how much you own, a lot of us probably do. So that'll give you 5,000. Um, and and that, that value is a yielding asset. So you're getting rewards in an asset that yields. So it's a constant growing relationship between them. If you look, if for anyone wondering, if you're not in the Git book, take a look at the Advius token section in the Git book. I linked it in the, uh, the chat a, a little higher up. If you go to Advius token overview, on the bottom there's a graph, a graphic on it. So it's kind of is a visual on how it works. So that's what uh, I came up with on on a way. Like like I said, I I think a lot of uh, ERC twenty tokens are garbage there's no point in buying tokens i only invest in layer one assets i think there's very few uh erc20 tokens that have value like they, i think uh, curve is is pretty valuable 
Uh, I think there's a few that are, but this is no one. I don't think anyone's doing this either. So I had to come up with a way where what makes me comfortable doing a token and what, what, what would I actually want in a token if I were to actually hold it and invest? So I think this right here gives so much value to the token. Cause it, it, you know, it's literally like owning a piece of a, of a company. You know, it, even stocks are just as ridiculous. Like you don't actually own the company, even though they make you believe you do. You're not getting profits unless you're getting dividends. This is like literally giving you piece of profits of the company. It's all, all dependent on the TVL in, in Advias. Yeah, you know, well, you know, it, this isn't, this happens every block. So, you know, as long, yeah, uh, yes, what you're saying. So as long as there's any value locked, you're making money through dividends and you can claim them at any, any time. And then when you claim them, it gives you more rewards in the Advias token. So it's a, con- it's a really big perpetual growth system that actually is going to stay around for the entire life. In 100 million years, uh, if you still own this token, you're still going to be making dividends. Longer half-life than <laughs> radioactive particles. Does, does anyone else have a question for OP, or shall we draw this to a close? If anyone else wants to jump in now, now's your chance. I just got the last thing. Uh, I'm looking at the Git book. And in your overview, you do have a Discord link, but the link is dead. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, let me. Let me. Uh, I don't know. If you, if you could throw in a just invite link in the the chat, that would be appreciated. Yeah. Let's see. Never expired. Not as much a question, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did that? Anyway, did that make sense uh, for the tokenomics? By the way. Anyone have any questions on how that works? It's, it reminded me a little bit because we've got the Prism launch tomorrow. It reminded me a little bit of um, how X Prism is going to be like if you stake your Prism for X Prism, you then get to sort of you have a claim on some of the fees. Mm. Um. So while it might not be exactly the same as that, it did make me start thinking. Okay. And I, yeah, I, and I, I, yeah I, I think a token that's got a claim on. Um, yeah, the the fees that you're charging or not charging fees that you're taking. Yeah, um, I probably I should look at that. Pretty powerful. Well, yeah. Thanks for taking the time out to explain a little bit about Advias. I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm still a bit confused, but <laughs> definitely, I'm definitely a bit less confused than I was before hearing from you. So, yeah, you're a member here, so you feel free to sort of jump in. Um, and you can thanks for having me too. in the chat yeah thanks for taking the time and um, for everyone else if you want to stay for a general sort of terra chat afterwards mm. you're more than welcome I'll, I'll be here for a few minutes but i think i'm gonna to go to bed shortly um but yeah mike open thanks. mic yeah thanks so much for the presentation really interesting Thank um, you. I actually just have a really quick general question. Um, I was at a crypto meetup last night and this guy was asking, he actually seemed like he really knew what he was talking about and he was, he's fairly sophisticated and he was asking me to explain exactly how the algorithm that connects the burning of Luna to the minting of UST and the minting of Luna to the kind of like sub- 
the um, the supply reduction of UST, exactly how that algorithm works. And I was trying to explain the process by which Luna and UST are like related and how they kind of move when, you know, there's excess demand for UST, gets burned and the peg is stabilized. And he, he wanted to like fundamentally understand the relationship between UST and Luna in terms of the algorithm. Um, so he's like a technical person. He works at Google. He like was looking for that kind of explanation. And I, I basically said, like, you know, I think you're going to have to look at the code. But I was wondering if um, there's a like a just English, like in plain English way that somebody could explain the algorithm, so to speak. Because um, because I explained it to him from like the tokenomics perspective of like as UST demand goes up, the peg between UST and the dollar is slightly broken, like to the upside, that facilitates burning of Luna, which creates UST in, in, you know, in the world. More UST means there's more supply, there's arbitrage opportunities, the peg, you know, comes back. And then kind of the opposite of that on, on the, the, the other side of the equation, if UST demand is going down. Um, but I'm wondering, does anybody have a you know, explanation for the actual like code of it, I guess. No, it's, and, and I actually, uh, I actually raised this question in the Terra, um, discord like yesterday, uh, or actually I reached out to Chris Amani Cause I was like, well, if he can't answer effectively, like how the, cause what I was interested in was, uh, and I think it's something that we discussed, I discussed in this, uh, this Discord ones was kind of the inflation numbers. How does it work? But it, it ties into what you're asking too. Um, effectively, how does the inflation? Because w- what I'm interested in is like, does Luna have an inflation rate if it's below one billion in circulating supply? Um, and uh, how that relationship between UST and Luna works uh and like i said it's in the it's in a similar ballpark um and i i did get an answer from somebody but it doesn't really it yeah it doesn't really make sense what he's saying like effectively what he said is that like the one billion of the luna was minted at genesis there's no new luna being minted and no maximum amount either as luna can be minted by burning ust there's no max minting. But. And then also you say there's no current inflation rate since, you know, we're not minting new Luna to pay validation like, or validators or stakers. Um, but that's I, I, th- I think he's missing the point, because as, as you're saying, like that's the UST has got to come from somewhere, right? We're not creating UST. We're 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 creating UST by burning Luna. As far as I understand, there's no other side channel where UST is entering the system. You got to burn Luna to get UST. So at the Genesis, we would have had, I'm assuming, and somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, zero UST because there were no burn Luna. And then obviously at Luna gets burned, we get more and more UST. And that's also, you know, a reversible, you can, do it the other way too um but exact with that uh like i said i got the i got the beginner version of your question and i 
wasn't able to get a clear answer on that one so it's uh but <laughs> uh but yeah so i'm trying to figure out who to who who that can dive like knows enough about the code and everything because it's a very technical question that you got there and it's uh exactly how that relationship works and yeah it's first of all we need to figure out if luna's by nature if we ignore the burn in inflationary or not and i haven't even been able to get an answer on that one uh, the the answer as far as the inflation of luna the, the best answer i've heard so far i i, I don't know if this is 100 percent correct but it's inflationary inflationary up to some sort of an asymptote but like it just Sorry, gets until some sort of an asymptote it's like a, it asymptotically approaches a set inflationary number but it never goes to infinity like the the it's kind of like that Zeno's paradox i think is the name of the logical puzzle where like you have two racers right you have two people running a race and or sorry you have like one person running a race right and so like at at the beginning of the race they cover half the distance between the start and the finish line and then in the next moment they cover half the distance remaining and in the next moment they cover half the distance remaining and so on and so on and so on and the question is like do they ever actually get to the finish line right or do they just get closer and closer and closer to the finish line but never actually get to the finish line and in like in math there's a proof that shows that you know the limit of that asymptotically approaches the finish line and like it resolves to basically it hits the finish line but you know i don't know i don't know if that's exactly how luna works but basically like you can print more and more and more and more ust technically for like smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller amounts of luna that is burned approaching some number that's i guess zero um i could be wrong but have you listened to the murray rod thing or were you on that one yeah yeah you did it you did it yeah yeah i was i did that and that's why i'm saying like that's yeah that's my understanding of it based on some of the conversations i've had with him and and reading the documentation and all of that but yeah that was actually where that discussion came from because it's a now now when you remember because i was for that one too and we had this and effectively, I guess the question what I was asking then was, okay, so what's the inflation rate? Like, is it because if it's a percentage-based inflation rate related to, because I think the magical number here for a max supply is one billion, um, and this is the thing. Like, I, I need to I need to find somebody that can verify all this a hundred percent. But if the way I've understood it is, maximum supply is one billion. Um, do we have? Uh, a set like when we're below that is the inflation rate a set amount and or is it a percentage because if it's set the lower our supply goes and that's where we've got like into kind of murray's models is the lower we go the higher our inflation rate will be so if we have a very low supply the price of luna is going to go insane and we're also going to have um a very high inflation rate or is it a percentage that just goes down in relationship to the circulating supply or is it because of the like that, that's that's kind of what we were trying to figure well, out yeah because you know was, i thought it was dynamic like based on the amount of demand growing in every moment of time or the demand shrinking in every moment of time 
or like every block basically um uh of ust like growth versus versus decline of ust demand i thought that the amount of luna burned or kind of dynamically adjusts to that not by like a fixed percentage but dynamically I think all the US that would be my understanding. Luna. I put a link uh in the chat that kind of goes over a little bit. The voice questions channel? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It yep. looks like I think all the UST like anytime you get UST, I, I, I what it seems like it's like you need to burn Luna for that to even happen. And I guess there's like a Oracle relationship with the price, I guess. I'm yeah, right. Just the whole question about inflation Greece. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you talking about inflation of the price or inflation of the tokens? I, I, tokens. Well, like, he, well I, I think I, I, I muted it for a second, but I was saying how, how a UST and a relationship with Luna. One again. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, you disappeared there for a second. You couldn't hear me? Uh, not completely, no. Oh, oh I was just saying, I, there's a link uh, that kind of goes over the Luna-UST relationship. Oh yeah, yeah. The, you you mean the the Terra video? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of half looking at it as I'm listening to right. you guys. <laughs> uh, and uh, no, what I would say uh, was that it's I'm is whether or not Luna is an inflationary token uh, when it's below a certain like circulating supply. I'm not positive. It looks like I feel like if people were if from what that video is showing, the complete opposite. If they were to like the video shows when people buy UST, it burns Luna. I guess the opposite would happen if people sell UST. So would it, I guess you could call it inflationary, but it's but I guess it's also a uh, like a symbiotic relationship with UST. I mean, who who is saying that Luna is inflationary? Because I, I do not get that whatsoever. I mean, like if that's not comp- if that's not true, that's the impression that I I got from like early on that when we're below a certain threshold, there's or is that not a part of the function whatsoever? Like, have I completely got it wrong from the beginning? Or <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, what, what what's your definition of an inflationary token? Uh... I'll I'll take it I'll take an example just to kind of just to give you an example of um a to- a token that has this like this functionality for example like so uh are you, are you familiar with the Harmony 1 network? Not at all. Okay. So that, that's that's fine. That's that's not about just but uh, anyway, so effectively what they do is that they have a certain max supply. Um uh, and when they're below that, they kick in like a kind of inflation rate so effectively as um as a, a staker and a validator on that network you get either paid out in the, the inflation rate of the token but if you or you hit if you certain rate a certain like max supply the the rewards you get are only based off of uh the the fees on the network so okay. with for example with luna what, what i was like and that's i like i said I, I could completely misunderstood this from the beginning but um but my thought process was that there was constantly like working towards a 
like one billion supply as long as it's circulating. So and that, that that percentage of Luna that was minted was being, you know, spread out over combined with protocol fees and given out to, you know, validators or stakers. Oh, that's that's totally different to my understanding. I as far as, far as I'm aware, yeah, there I mean no new Luna is getting minted anywhere. The only time Luna would be minted is if the supply of UST shrinks. Right. It's like symbiotic. It doesn't come out of thin air. It's coming from UST if it is being minted. So it's so when that, I mean, comparing it to, say, anchor tokens or whatever, I mean, I, that's, that's inflationary because they keep right. printing more and more and more and releasing new tokens. Whereas Luna yeah. is. That's, exactly. That, I mean, that, that's why I think lunatics are lunatics because we're holding this sort of asset. So compared to ETH, which ETH, new ETH is still being mined. Yeah, or created or whatever. I don't know how ETH works nowadays, but um, Luna. I mean, so Luna. I mean, is, uh, that's what that's what I've understood from Murray is basically the Luna supply is going to keep shrinking until yeah. we hit this kind of on the well, curve where the price just goes mental. Well, it's the Luna supply is going to keep shrinking as long as UST demand keeps growing. Oh, oh, yes, sorry. Of course, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the key thing for me that I'm trying to like, it, it's weird. It feels a little bit like, you know how when you're a kid and you look at those books um, or those pictures where if you cross your eyes just right and you pull back a little bit, the like 3D thing pops up and you can kind of see something that wasn't there before. I think for me, the key weird like mental thing that I'm trying to do and UST is not look at them as different coins, not look at them as different things. It's like they're it's like they're water and water can either exist as ice or it can exist as liquid or you know in water's case I guess there there's gas as well right with luna it's it's kind of like it's water but it has like two it has like two phases it it can be UST or it can be luna but but it's the same thing in a way it's like this it's this one thing that has two ways of existing in the world given certain mm. external conditions that affect it kind of like water and that's what i'm trying to do in my mind like for the last you know month is really look at it as one thing that has two ways of showing up in the world like oh, did, you, did you come up with that one yourself uh, yeah i think so I, I don't know i mean maybe somebody else has said it but but i always try to like create little analogies for myself to understand things. like that we'll say <laughs> Yeah, so uh, sorry for interrupting. I, I'm fairly new here in the community. But uh, regarding the last uh, uh, commentary about uh, the the analogy between Luna and water, so how do you explain uh, Luna having a set maximum circulating supply and USD not having that? Because when uh, when what liquid liquid water turns into ice the volume or the area occupied might change but the amount of water didn't if you unfreeze it again you'll have the same amount of uh, of liters or gallons of water yeah so i yeah, don't think exactly. it relates in that sense because yeah, it's, not it's not a perfect analogy but this kind of gets back to what i was saying before which is i want to have a deep fundamental understanding of how of like how the the physics of the phase shift between you know luna and ust and like that would be defined by like the algorithms that govern how luna is burned when ust demand grows and how luna is minted when ust shrinks 
That would be like deeply understanding from a first principles physics perspective how water freezes, how water becomes liquid. In terms of the, um, you know, this uh, question of like fixed circulating supply, like max circulating supply, this is what we were talking about, I think, earlier, where you can have let over time less and less and less Luna is required to be burned to generate the new UST that comes into existence. So UST because, is, because the dollar yeah. amount of Luna uh, rose. Yeah, correct. The value of Luna, like based on Murray's calculations, you could have it. You could have a scenario. This is very unlikely, like extremely unlikely. But you could have a scenario where 17 Luna burned a day generates an incremental 2.5 billion new dollars of UST into the world economy every day, if that's the level that demand is growing by. Um, so it's this concept that I was saying earlier of how Luna kind of asymptotically approaches zero new Luna uh, created or like zero Luna burned, but it could technically like like just approach that forever. Like you could have a world, I guess, where you're burning like 0.0001 Luna and it generates like $10 billion of UST. That, that will never happen, but I'm just saying, I think that could happen based on the algorithm. But so Luna doesn't it's, happen. It's make it happen. <laughs> yeah, if, and I want to be the last one uh, standing with the last Luna, please, if you don't mind. But it, the way the way I'm understanding this now is so, for example, just technically, uh, obviously, this is very improbable, but Luna doesn't have a max supply. It's just simply based on the fact like just just theoretically, right? If Luna went up to $100,000 next week, um, all of us cash out. And then it crashes down to 50 bucks. That would be terrible to be at 50 bucks. It's a dreadful experience. But, uh, <laughs> but, and then we would all buy back the Luna. Then, then we could technically go above that one billion. So it doesn't have, like I say, because of the relationship with UST, there isn't a max supply of Luna technically. It can go as high as it goes, but it, it depends on the relationship, right? Am I getting that right? Yeah, but to to so, generate one UST, you right now have to sell one fiftieth part of a Luna, not a, one Luna. Am I correct? Yes. Um, so so Luna Luna approaches zero. The way I understand it is Luna approaches zero new supply, or like more, like it, there's some amount of Luna that exists that can exist, and it just kind of gets closer and closer and closer to that max amount, but it, it like could potentially just like never hit it. Um, kind of like that runner analogy I was saying earlier about how like technically you could define running a race as, you know, you start at the starting line and you end at the finish line. And in every moment in time, you get halfway closer to the finish line. But if you keep dividing where you are, from the finish line by half you just you get closer like to infinity but you never quite get to the finish line even though technically in math like that there's a proof that says you do get to the finish line it's the concept of limits in calculus 
But yep. like, I think I could be wrong. So don't double check what I'm saying here. But I think I believe that that's how Luna works is there's like some amount of Luna. But, you know, because of the dynamic relationship between UST and Luna, like it can exist as one or the other. You could have an equilibrium situation where it like you're just switching back and forth between the two states. And it just takes less and less and less and less Luna when you switch back from UST to generate the new amount of UST that the world needs. Is that correct? Am I t- speaking nonsense at this point? <laughs> this, this is some big brain stuff, guys. It's, it's very philosophically interested, interesting. Mm. I, I, I mean, all I want to know is when number go up. But I'm um, enjoying the conversation. I mean, it was lower when I went guys. to sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, I, can I ask a dumb question? So let, let me go. Let me go back uh, as as a new member. Let me go back to the to the simpler um, uh, informations that I started discovering and using to uh, to learn about Luna and the, the tokenomics. And apart from the community, on doing my own research. And I'll give you two two simple numbers uh, taken off uh, coin market cap uh, circulating supply. Four hundred thousand. Uh, I'm sorry, four hundred seventy twenty-six million total supply. Eight hundred and eighteen three hundred nine million. That means that there is a fixed amount of uh, total amount of Luna. Eight hundred and eight million and whatever. And circulating right now, four hundred and something million. Uh, so what prints? What 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 means UST? It's the fact that Luna gets uh, more valuable or it's everything. So 50, uh, Luna at $50, when you burn one Luna, you mint 50 USD. Am I looking at it correctly? Yes, I believe so. Yeah, that does sound, sound about right. It was... Because that, that, that uh, brings me to another point. Remember a few days ago, there was a little bit of a controversy when the, that um, Luna Foundation guard, something, I forget the name, uh, transferred 50 million Luna to the, because of the anchor losing their, their treasury. Or, and the, 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 the question was, where did this Luna come from? It wasn't minted out of thin air. It was transferred from an already existing a wallet with already existing uh, Luna from the foundation or the team or whatever. Uh, I don't know the the, the full details. That's what I. That's what I, I. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's what I I um, understood at the time. And it was only transferred for that foundation to again to help. With maintaining the peg and and in in various capacities, doing various uh, different things, and, uh, and not just uh, giving money to anchor uh, or uh, to generate uh, reserves for USD. Um, so that fifty million Luna weren't added to the eight hundred that I referred earlier. That coin coin market cap mentions as a total supply. Uh, because he didn't raise uh, the that number to eight hundred and fifty, 
million. So um, you, you, you understand what I mean? So, uh, or maybe I'm being... Confused. Are you asking the question... Uh, are you asking the question if TFL saloon are part of the circulating supply? Is that the question that you're asking? Uh, yes, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll go a little bit... Um, Upstream, if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry for the, 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 the stupid translation, but it's an expression in my native language. Um, the, if, if uh, going back to that, those two numbers that I was referring to, uh, picking two simple numbers that all of us can uh, take as reference from a um, uh, third party platform. If there are right now uh, 808 million. Um, total supply of Luna. I'm assuming that those uh, 808 million Luna are already uh, minted somewhere. Uh, not minted, I don't, want, I don't want to say minted because that can raise, a, that, that can be a fallacious question, um, but uh, there will only be 808 million. So those 50 million weren't uh, printed out of thin air they are a part of the 808 million. Uh, if they are not in circulation yet, they are in a, a wallet or they are going to be minted uh, as part of a process. But you know what I mean? Or am I... For me, yeah, that 808 makes... million, it's the, the total. That makes sense to me. I just don't know if that 800 million is the correct number. But yeah, that does make like what you're saying, regardless of what that correct number is, what you're saying makes sense to me in terms of like, as more Luna is is minted, the circulating supply grows and the max supply stays the same. I I think what I've seen, I, I, I know, I know this question has come up before. And once again, I haven't been able to get a clear answer on this one. But yeah, it's, it's a fair question, though, because we've had uh, like with this TFL uh, Luna, right? All of a sudden they're announcing that they're throwing 30 million Luna out there and people are assuming that, hey, they're turning it into UST. But we're not seeing any big, big changes in the circulating supply in Luna to kind of represent that. And that's that's often I believe that's where people come up with the question with well, is it part of the circulating supply or what's going on? Like did they just create 30 million Luna, turn it into USD instantly, and therefore the circulating supply hasn't changed? Um that's if I understand it right, that's that's kind of where people get confused because they hear all these big numbers moving around, but nothing's you know, nothing's really doing a, like it's not really changing the uh, circulating supply of Luna, and for example, if we take Doquan here, I mean, I, I I hope he doesn't do that. Like, you know, he was saying that he was going to give three hundred million or something to Anchor, um, but, and I mean, that would have had an impact on, like, I'm assuming he would turn three hundred million dollars worth of Luna into UST, um, but, and and that should give a decent bump to the. Like, well, but it should affect both of these tokens. But I don't, but yeah. yeah, so, I, I, so, yes, so there is another uh, interesting question that I think that uh, for at least for, for uh, how we are talking about it now, it, it seems that it's, it's uh, a doubt in, in a, a lot of people's minds, not, not just mine. <laughs> I'm feeling better about myself now. 
if 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 the if the uh, announced uh, in the early uh, white paper of economics of uh, of uh, though um, there there would only exist one billion luna, and now we can see a, a total supply in coin market cap. Uh, of 808, I'm, I assumed, and I don't know if I'm wrong, that 182 million were already burned somehow of loan, I mean. Uh, and that's why there is only 808 million uh, max supply uh, remaining. And of those 808 million, 400 and somewhat something are circulating. That's my as assumption. Am I wrong? Is there a place where you can see like a, a, a simple counter of one million existing uh, X amount burned? I think you should be able to see all that on the blockchain. It's just, you know, you'd have to go through from the very beginning, right? You'd have to go through all the way back to the beginning and look at every single action that's happened on the blockchain. Yeah. And, and do that accounting. It, it's... But it's. I think you're you're asking great questions. Like I, I really want to like look into all this more and and look into more into it more deeply. I wonder sometimes. I don't have a like not in any inside knowledge or anything on this, but like I wonder if like from Doe's perspective, from Terraform Labs perspective, like I don't know that they really care. All like they. I'm sure they want Luna to go up. But they've said repeatedly, and Doe has said repeatedly, his main goal is to create a decentralized stablecoin that is like the number one stablecoin in the world that any anybody can use. And he wants that to be like the main core focus of Terra. So if the way to achieve that involves Luna not going up in price a lot, or you know, if, if the way to in other words, if the way to achieve total domination of stable coins doesn't involve Luna, doesn't need to involve Luna going up, then I'm sure they'll, you know, use whatever path guarantees the most success for, for UST. So um, this idea maybe that like Luna for sure is going to go crazy in terms of price as UST adoption grows, like maybe, but I don't know. Um, maybe there's like a different thing that could happen that we're not none of us are really like aware of you know um i don't know <laughs> uh i posted a link in the chat which is from the the smart stake team uh it kind of shows that the only problem it doesn't really show some of this data like super far back because i'm fairly new to luna but it does kind of show the history of like Luna total supply and those things over time. Um, and it might be worth to have a look at if people are. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Can you, can you repeat where you posted it? It's just above the voice chat that we're using. There's a channel called voice questions. Ah, okay. Thank you. So a lot of these numbers don't go crazy far back but with that being said I don't know for example if you look at the percentage stake it goes back to November 2020 but I haven't been here long enough that maybe that's when you could start staking <laughs> so it's, uh, but they do have a graph showing like the total supply of Luna uh, 
And once again, they have this magic little purple line at exactly like one billion. Um, and that's I, I believe in even in the white paper. This is the thing. Like I, I was interested in this. I went into the white paper and they they called it the equilibrium line of one billion. But based off what I'm hearing about tokenomics, it's it's they they're not actually like there isn't that much talking about that part of the tokenomics and yeah somebody told me like i said technically there isn't a max supply of luna because and with that with the runners um and that was actually something that i thought of uh with your like runners analogy there uh triple it's (sighs) technically if because my my example of let's say the price goes super high everyone sells out into ust and then it crashes down to you know five dollars and then everyone buys back then I mean, with your runners and all, I mean, I could just keep on bumping my number up. Like, they—they're. I mean, obviously, we're in very theoretical like territory here right now. But I could just say that instead of Luna going to a hundred thousand, it went to five million, and then it dropped down to three cents. And yeah, like, so if effectively, like, I could, I could just keep on pushing that boundary, which means that technically they're they're. they're shouldn't be a maximum like within like mathematically speaking there shouldn't be a maximum supply of luna uh obviously in reality we're not gonna have luna doing uh five million one day and five dollars the other day like it's it's not gonna that's not gonna happen um but but you know theoretically that that could happen like we could have five trillion one day and you know a fraction of a cent the next day and then that max supply doesn't like we yeah, would have an insane amount of luna because of it that's my biggest kind of risk that i see with luna is that volatility increases as ust adoption grows because of what you're saying because as ust adoption grows the luna supply shock starts to take effect and then less luna exists like every moment in time after that less luna exists so when people sell luna they're selling much more of the overall amount of luna that's circulating which crashes the price but then you know demand for ust keeps growing so luna is burned and like it shoots up again and then like i guess um like that would not be good from like an investing standpoint i think over like after a while unless like that would also not be good because um it could potentially there could potentially be an issue with um the market cap ratio between ust and luna like if that gets too crazy big and and um like a whole bunch of people decide that they uh you know want a short ust basically they could flood the market with ust also which you know that gets harder over time actually so it would be more i think the first thing which is like as ust demand grows and grows and grows and grows if people start selling luna in the future when luna's price is very high then luna's volatility will be crazy um and you know maybe maybe that happens but i'm hoping that there's like a solution where and this is what Murray was kind of talking about is there's probably a way to create a stable burn of Luna where the world's demand for UST is met 
through a kind of like hits some sort of like fairly consistent like regular growth curve and then the luna burning is kind of consistent as well to meet that growth curve uh that demand curve so hopefully that happens because otherwise luna will become more volatile with time not less volatile yeah yeah that's true i mean i figured it'll like i mean we're all kind of in a boat of we're just gonna have to wait and see right and i mean with all these new protocols coming out uh you have i mean like a couple of them that like you know the the ecosystem's getting more and more stable we have like you know kajira coming in and uh, i believe lighthouse is coming like all of these liquidation protocols have obviously done incredible amounts for like stabilizing the price of luna um we got white whale kicking off at some point i'm hoping you know it'll add on extra stability to the ecosystem uh so i think I mean, you're right. It, there, there is that risk factor, but I'm, I'm hoping that it just kind of works itself out. Because if there's an opportunity to make money somewhere, you know, like this, this network, like people that are in this ecosystem are going to figure out a way to milk it. So, and the, the, by doing that, you automatically stabilize it because when you open it up to the masses, and that, that's a maturity thing too as an ecosystem, right? Like. That's, I mean, that's the big thing with White Whale and Kajira that you open up something that has been a cost for volatility because it's been available for to so few people, but now all of a sudden it's available for everyone, and that just brings that brings down the profit, like the margins of profit, by a lot. Because rather than getting liquidated by a thirty percent premium, right now we're struggling breaking four percent with Kajira. So, but it does mean that we don't get these, like the run the risk of these mass liquidations anymore. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me on a practical level, like, you know, selfishly, I guess, um, for me, I really hope that Luna becomes less volatile over time because I would like it to be a very much like a, a real estate type asset in my portfolio where I don't ever sell it. I just hold it and borrow against it to generate, you know, income or whatever, you know, speculate on other things with my borrowed funds. And if you have a super volatile asset, you can't really do that, right? Like, like if you have a home and one day it's worth $500,000 and then the next day it's worth like $50,000, like it's very hard to borrow against that. And so just on a personal level, my strategy with all of crypto is to just find good assets that appreciate over time and decrease in terms of the volatility over time. And then set myself up eventually to borrow, be able to borrow against them. So that's why I really hope that Luna doesn't become more volatile with time. It would be fascinating to see volatility because, I mean, look at Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is eight, nine years older than, you know, in crypto space, that's ancient. Uh, well, you can't you can't get much older than Bitcoin, I guess. But uh, but it would be interesting to see because, once again, we're in a maturing market uh still very young which means and it would be interesting to see the i guess could we call it the volatility index of other uh assets past like you know like what what did well houses is a bad example but uh 
uh, at least for me <laughs> to use here. But it's effectively like what, like when can we expect, and like what's what's kind of the sweet spot of how many years, and what kind of market cap as a total, like crypto as a whole, should we expect it to start stabilizing? Because it is stabilizing. Uh, if we look at you know Bitcoin over the years and the ROI, you can see just like that it has stabilized and it, that it is going. But I know that a long time in crypto is like a week. Um, but this might take. I mean, yeah, Luna might stabilize over time, and the whole industry might. But that might be ten, twenty years from now. It's which you know is more or less forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really trying to be patient with all this stuff, you know, like, like, Bitcoin's only been around for 11 years, right? Or 12 years, like, that's nothing, you know? And, um, and Luna way less, right? Since 2018, I think, or something like that. So um, I would love to continue to participate in crypto as an investor and just as a you know community member for like the, the rest of my life ideally and i've hopefully knock on wood you know got another 60 years on this planet at, at least so when i think about the fact that the internet hasn't even lasted or hasn't even been around for 60 years right what consumer internet in terms of like aol and stuff where where people mostly like started using it as regular people that that happened in the mid 90s right so we're like almost 30 years into the internet so yeah i mean we're we're still even new with the internet you know like this is i mean the stock market was invented in the set, like 18, early 1800s late 1700s i think right or something like that and and it existed for like hundreds of years before the great depression happened and then the great depression happened and then you know like that was a crazy event. So like, who knows what kind of insanity <laughs> lies ahead of us? You know, I mean, we've probably not even seen a fraction of both the volatility and the um, innovation that happens with crypto. Hopefully it gets less volatile with time. But again, I, when I think of things like the stock market, you know, th that did exist for a while before the Great Depression happened. And then that was an incredibly volatile event. Um, I think DeFi also potentially suffers from the same kind of issues that led to the 2008 um, housing crisis, which is this kind of like web, this spider web of debt, like under collateralized debt. Uh, it starts as over collateralized, but eventually it ends up being under collateralized. And there's like, it seems to me there's quite a bit of systemic risk in DeFi. And I think we see it with things like Wonderland effect, you know, the explosion of Wonderland affecting a lot of other protocols. And, and we probably haven't seen anything yet. Like at some point there's going to be a massive explosion and, and that, that makes all of DeFi go down like 80 or 90%. And that's going to suck. Um, so yeah <laughs> i don't know you guys we're so young in this like we're so, it's so so early days i mean i'm happy to have some volatility still because volatility isn't necessarily a bad thing volatility is also what happens when price goes up so <laughs> it's uh it's not down 80 percent taron we're at 50 no, max no. yeah and and i agree like i think volatility can be good 
I don't necessarily think volatility is bad. I just, I know there'll be a point in my life where I don't want volatility. You know, there'll be a point in my life where I want to hold things that maintain their value and allow me to borrow against them without risk of um, liquidation or things like that. So it's just a matter of like what phase of life you're in. I, you know, right now I'm in the wealth accumulation phase. I'm in the asset and wealth accumulation phase. At some point, I'll, I'll switch probably to like um, the wealth distribution phase, basically. You know, my goal personally is to die with like very little money that's in my bank account. Like I, I want to leave money to various causes that I believe in and all of that, but I don't necessarily want to like leave money in my bank account or in my crypto wallets, you know? Yeah. No, I think that's the right approach to it. And there's definitely been, it's, it's, you know, and humans keep on living longer and longer. It's kind of like my parents tell me this joke that they go, Hey, we're going to live up your inheritance. And I've told them like, and I, I did the math on it and I was like, well, I mean, if you guys keep on going the way you're doing, um, I'm probably going to be like, you know, looking at my grandmother and everything like that. I'm going to be like 65 by the time that these my parents, you know, kick the bucket. So if I don't have my shit together by the age of 65, if, I, if I'm still depending on the fact that I'm going to get money from then, then I'll I've got bigger issues than uh, <laughs> so it's like i mean i mean as long as people keep on living longer and longer it's it's gonna be that way you gotta like you know don't hoard a bunch of money for your kids to have or to just sit in your bank account or your wallet when you're when you're done with it because yeah like they're gonna be they're gonna be old enough as it is so it's you gotta you gotta make sure you enjoy that stuff <laughs> we don't have to worry about what we're gonna have like well we'll uh have some replicators in like a couple of years anyways yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I, I'm really hoping that the price of goods drops to basically the cost of the energy and the materials and the intellectual property, like what Elon says. Like fundamentally, I guess, in a perfect universe, um, everything could be made for the cost of the energy to make it, the cost of the raw materials needed to make it, and the cost of the intellectual property needed to make it. Um, yeah, I mean... If we can get to that point, that would be good because you need less income to live a good life, I think, at that point. But isn't that, especially talking about uh, Elon, isn't that a little bit uh, subjective? Because his IP of a self-driving uh, car or fully, I don't know, that uh, service that it's, he sells in his car, um, it's called fully automated driving or something like that which is his IP really doesn't work because so he's selling you and you are paying for something that is a promise of something, but it isn't real. So it is only IP uh, because we tend to accept it as such because it isn't in reality because it in reality doesn't work yet. It will work, but it doesn't work yet. Uh, not not talking about uh, the legal part of being allowed or legal um, and recognized by the proper uh, authorities to to work as, as such, but uh, that um, when when you factor in IP, which makes makes completely sense, but it's 
it's the intangible variant in the in that group of um, things because you can you as a IP holder you can give it the price that you want and we we are back at uh, uh, the starting point with where you have to make more money to pay for the expectations of the owner of that IP no. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of technologies that that don't work well that we pay for, obviously. Um, if you want to be an early adopter and you want to get into something early, it's almost guaranteed that the, tech, the, the thing you're getting into is like not going to work perfectly well. Like, I still feel like we overpay for printers, you know, <laughs> and that's been around for a long time. And like printers are terrible <laughs> for the most part uh, in terms of inkjet printers specifically. Um, so... What what was I going to say? Um, oh yeah, you know I think I, I think it's interesting when you look at um, the way technology is going to impact our lives because uh, we have these these mega trends of decentralization, decentralized manufacturing, um, as well as subscription models that are kind of like taking over everything, right? Like Terra, not Terra, uh, Tesla is eventually probably just going to be like a fleet of autonomous vehicles that you subscribe to on a monthly basis. Um, you don't actually like own your car. I'm totally, you know, I, um, I'm totally like, uh, brainstorming here, but I, I would think like, you don't really need to own your car if you, as long as you live in like a fairly densely populated area, suburbs or the city, you know? Um, and then you just pay a monthly fee to Tesla uh, and then, uh, you know, you can get rides as much as you want, or maybe there's like three subscription buckets. Right. And then on the other side of it, if you want something in your home, like, uh, some food or, or something, maybe you subscribe to like a meal delivery service or a beverage delivery service or something like that. And then there's just massive um, economies of scale that those companies utilize to deliver you those products way cheaper than, um, you know, than you could like go to the store and get yourself. I, I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, all of this is contingent on, on us not killing ourselves, you know, which it seems like I was actually, I was talking to this guy from Google. He's a machine learning researcher. He works with, uh, there's a division in Google uh, I live in the U.S., and there's there's a division in Google here where it's really interesting. They work on um, they work on motivation for machine learning. So what that means is like they're trying. There's something in machine learning uh, AI research called the objective function, which is basically like what are you trying to get the computer, the AI algorithm, you know, the machine learning algorithm. What are you trying to get it to do? Uh, what's it optimizing for? And they they work on this. They call it motivation research. And, you know, I asked him what he thinks the chances are that we will kind of destroy ourselves with AI and when he thinks that will happen. And, and he believes it's a 99% certainty that 99% likelihood that we will destroy ourselves with AI within the next 100 years. And he thinks it's highly likely we'll do it within 50 years. And the problem with AI, the big danger with AI is that it's a winner take all. So whether it's China develops their AI first or some tech company in, you know, in Palo Alto, like Google develops it first, like once you have it, if you can control it, 
the value that it unlocks for you is, you know, it just accrues all the value to you. So it's an inherently destabilizing thing, and it remains to be seen whether we, if it happens at some point in the next, doesn't really matter how long, right? Even if it's a thousand years away, if it happens, it is an open question whether we, um, like, make it <laughs> through that. You know, that seems like it's a very uh, uncertain event in the history of of our species. So. Um, yeah, fundamentally, I think it's kind of an interesting thing where none of this might matter <laughs> if the AI just kind of wipes us all out. But I don't know why I started talking about that. But yeah. So what you are saying is that I only have five years of a, to accumulate 19.5 returns on my USD on Anchor so that I can retire for the next 15 years before I'm killed by an AI. Just doing the math so that I can... <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I thought it was really interesting when I asked him. I, was, I fully expected him to say, like, you know, oh, it's never going to happen or whatever. But he was like, yeah, I, I think it could be as early as 50 years from now. Um, I don't think that, but maybe he knows, you know, he probably knows more than I do about it. I don't think we need a very sophisticated AI to kill ourselves because like, look at what's happening with ourselves. Like, look at what's happening with democracy and all that, just with the social network, just those algorithms, you know, so hard to know what's true anymore. Society seems to be getting more polarized. Like we'll probably kill ourselves off way earlier than an AI directly does it just because of like all this stuff, but hopefully not. Sorry for bringing the mood down. <laughs> uh, um, as, a, as a newcomer to the, to the community, and if you don't mind, if I circle back to, uh, to, uh, to Luna and, and uh, USD-related uh, uh, doubts. Uh, yeah, for sure. For the next um, a few launches of new protocols on Luna, um, what do you think is the the one that it's going to and when it when it's going to be launched uh, the one that it's going to bring more uh, attention to luna and to the terra ecosystem again uh, mars oh, uh, prism no. no like for me personally prism is prism's going to be a great toy for people that are already in luna uh you want like we're talking i outlet alice all of these all of these on off ramps for luna or for ust that's gonna be the big catalyst that i think is gonna make a big difference because am i gonna use prism and i looking forward to it yes i'm super excited for it somebody that isn't into luna yet no however the day we have and you know i'm jealous of the americans for once in crypto that they get to be first with something <laughs> that you get to have a card like a credit card or a debit card in this case debit card um and a debit card service attached to your to ust that's that means that i can go to my i can go to my mom and go hey instead of earning 0.15 percent would you like 10 here's a mastercard with it that's the big thing that I'm kind of sitting and waiting for. Everything else that's coming along with Mars, Levana, Prism, that's just ways for me to 
earn more Lou now. And yeah. I'm excited. Is, 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 that, is that going to be just an off-ramp or also an on-ramp? It's for right now. Actually, for right now, they're looking more to be. And like I, said, I haven't dove too deep in Outlet, but I've talked to a couple of other pro- projects. And these ones, and obviously, the, the thing is that a lot of these are just within certain countries. So you have Capapult runs in Scandinavia. Uh, you got Tick, which is going to be here down in Australia. Um, Outlet is starting out in the US, but you know they're hoping to go, you know international uh but one of the things is that they have to be very careful with is that uh, you can't just create an on off ramp um so for example i think it was tick that i messaged with a little bit and effectively you're just going to be able to take your fiat and put it into their service and get nine percent or ten percent interest you're not going to be able to take your ust and transfer it into their uh business yet but obviously that's gonna come it it has to come right um so if outlet can do that first amazing others can do it whoever will do it first i mean it'll be the person that has to oh yeah first mover advantage that was the word that i completed when i was saying first player or something before first mover advantage um but that's gonna be that, that that's the thing so right now exactly how their models work i think it depends a lot on the local jurisdiction like in the in the country that they're in but but yeah i mean optimally in the end you're gonna have it's gonna be an on off ramp right you're gonna be able to take your ust or your normal whatever local currency put it into the app if you want to transfer then into the crypto sphere just leave it within their you know their little centralized ecosystem need to be able to do that too and that's why i'm that's why i'm optimistic about it yeah, 100%. I would agree. The 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 payment off ramps and on ramps, it's that's the killer app for something like UST, right? When Alice comes on board or any of these other ones and you're able to get that debit card and and if they're able to provide a similar experience to like Venmo or Cash or something like that, that is going to be like a game changer. So um, it might take like a few months, but it will definitely be a game changer. Um, yeah, Mars, Prism, Vertex is super interesting. Vertex is interesting because it's likely to bring institutions into Terra in a meaningful way because it's a Forex market. So I'm actually more interested to see what happens with Vertex than I am with Prism, although Prism might bring some institutions as well. Um, but yeah. The payments are just the on ramps, off ramps, and payments are just critical for consumer adoption. Yeah, for us, for the masses, for the little lunatics, l- lunatics with uh, less than a, a thousand uh, uh, USD. Ex- exactly. Oh, I mean, for anyone, it's it's really it. It'll be because. The second, the second you set up your grandma with a, with an outlet finance account and gets her that, get her that Mastercard debit card, she's connected to Terra. Like that's that's just the way it works, and it's, uh, and that's why for me, I've been I've been watching this uh, yield reserve anchor debacle, um, and I'm I'm really, I, I'm really looking forward to that going to zero. Because I want to see what happens. 
because we're in a situation where we're early enough that let's just pull out the worst case scenarios when you know we're it isn't globally adopted and we gotta figure out how to you know deal with something that breaks like is it gonna break the system i i don't think so i think realistically like what the uh the interest will drop down from 20 to 15 percent i i believe i i saw the math like so it's not it just needs to happen and that's you know with anchor version 2 coming out and all these different new assets being added in it's all this growth potential is just right there. So I, that's that's why for me personally, they, I really want to see the yield reserve go down to zero. And just just like we it argued is. right now with this drop, stress test the system. Yep. It amazes me how people get stressed with, a, with an APR going down from 20 to 15 when my fiat bank pays me 0.01% interest a year and, uh, and no one complains about that it's it's a it's absurd it's ridiculous but um yep but it's very much it's very much the vocal minority still in DeFi. like the masses have not come to DeFi. i mean there's only like 200 billion dollars right now in DeFi. maybe less now with the recent um crash like this is nothing you know like this is absolutely nothing i think there's what is there like 30, 40, 50 trillion dollars of of money and like cash and cash equivalents just floating around in the global economy, maybe more like way, way, way more than the total market cap of all of crypto, let alone DeFi, let alone Terra. Right. I mean, if you can hand somebody a card and say, hey, guess what? You have an app on your phone now. You can store your money here. You can pay for things. You can buy things. You can send money to your savings account, all this stuff. Um, and you get 9%, you know, nine, and they don't even care. Like on the back end, the protocol that's giving them this, this nice user experience is collecting an extra 6% on top of the 9% because they're going directly with Anchor. Oh my God, like, are you kidding me? Like people are just going to be overjoyed. You know, the average person who, the average person doesn't know DeFi even exists. <laughs> like they don't even know any of this stuff exists. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's it's funny you say that because this weekend I uh, introduced one of my friends uh, to the concept of DeFi, and <laughs> I did it in the best way possible. I made him made her buy uh, three Luna, and um, it's it, it, it's interesting because I'm also uh, fairly new to the community, but I've been a, a, a little bit longer in DeFi. And when I mean a little bit longer, only a few months, but in DeFi time, it's years, decades almost. And um, and I was um, I was able to teach her how to what it was and how to 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 set up an account, set up an, a wallet, and so on and so on. And I re- I realized um, her questions, her difficulties, and before giving someone a card which is the end goal, I think, and I completely agree with you. I think that there is things that we could do. Because, for instance, I, I realized that, um, which is the, one of the easiest ways of a, a newcomer to lose their money, when you, uh, you, go, you go through a sex, you know, the, the on-ramp to, for our fiat money, and uh, when you want to transfer your tokens or your coins out, if you get the, the, the network wrong, you lose your, all your money. Just the process 
with a wallet to facilitate this, to make sure that they automatically select the network for you when you select the token, token that you want to transfer, for instance, would be such a small step that we no longer, uh, we, we, uh, we take for granted now because we already know that it is a, a careful step that we have to take or else we'll lose our funds. But for a newcomer, this is completely confusing, scary, and, um, and it's such a, a fairly simple, it looks like, or it seems like such a, a fairly simple thing to fix, but yet we are still um, fighting with it, with bridges and uh, losing tokens, and uh, they, they, got, they get lost in a bridge, and you have to go to a pool, and you have to search for the rep version of the token and so on. You know what I mean? Even simplifying that part will, will, will be already off the battle, I think. 100%. But I mean, remember, we're like, we're just young, like we're, or we're new, you know, this is so new. I remember in the late 90s, when I was a kid, there were people recording um, video and uploading it to the internet. But it was like crazy, uh, you know, very expensive. Very few people had a way to access the videos. I think it was actually in the early 2000s. There was, I think there was something called, oh, I can't remember what it's called now. There's like a cool documentary about it. That made This really eccentric guy in New York rented an entire apartment building and like created this whole community where they were filming and live streaming and basically vlogging for YouTube, right? And this was years before YouTube. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you anything, they were having conversations just like this about like, wow, wouldn't it, you know, just wait until, you know, there's like something like YouTube and everybody can upload their own video content and user generated content. It's going to be amazing. Just wait, you know, and it just took a while. And then everybody realized, wow, I can just take, you know, it took smartphones, basically. And then everybody was like, wow, I can just video something and throw it up onto the Internet. And so that kind of stuff's going to happen 100 um, percent. You know, I just think that. Uh, we, we need to survive until that point. Like, I think we're still in the, I think we're still in the um, uncertain phase of like, does DeFi even survive? Uh, I, I think it is more likely to survive than less likely, but I don't think we're out of the woods yet. But if we can get through that first kind of existential survive thing, you're going to see all these amazing innovations that are going to accomplish everything that you're talking about. We are one important point also. We are moving forward. Uh, if you haven't been in the space for two, I've only been in the space for a year. So you know, I'm also not a veteran. But even during my year, the amount of bridges, the amount of you know, like platforms that you know, all of a sudden connect to a bunch of networks, it was it was mo it was much harder like a year ago to navigate this space uh than it is now so it's it's getting better and better and i like i don't know if we have anyone in here that's been you know for longer that did longer than hopefully longer than me because I, I still consider myself super new to it but that has been in here for like three four years but i am pretty confident that just based on what i've seen the last year that they would tell you that Back in the days, it was much, much harder. And uh, I, I know I was listening to, what was I? I think it was uh, Benjamin uh, Cohen, and he was kind of talking about the, 
the fact that back in the days you had to use these suspicious little like exchanges located in random countries uh, that you had never heard of to be able to get your hands on and off. And it was, you know, uh, like, and it was almost an impossible to turn your Bitcoin into real money and these kind of things, right? I mean, there's a reason why somebody paid 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza, right? Or was it two pizzas? Because it wasn't easy to turn crypto into real money. And that's like, it, it's constantly getting better and better. The interoperability, um, the the way and like all these different like smaller outlets that figure out a way to get you know get like create on off ramps so it's just about being patient like like my 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 mentality right now is i'm gonna try to stack as much luna as possible <laughs> and just give it time to grow it's uh because that's and that's why i also said i'm i'm, I'm looking forward to some upwards volatility in the future <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it's just like as I've just been in it for I've just been in it for a year. There's huge changes that has happened since then. It's uh, so it's it's gonna come 100. percent Just we just gotta give it time. Yeah, and that's why I never went too crazy with the LTV stuff. Like I, I love Lunomics and his strategy, and it's it's awesome. But for me, it's it's very important that I'm able to not lose any luna and like i'm trying to maximize the amount of luna that i uh own given the volatile like very volatile nature of crypto and luna you know in particular like i i went through the 2017 crypto bull market and then the 2018 bear market i got pretty lucky i was actually borrowing i had a company and I took out about $100,000 worth of debt against my company, like personal debt on my credit cards or uh, on my business credit cards, and then, um, which I guess is personally guaranteed. And then also I took out uh, a business line of credit and I had a small business loan. And I was using that back in 2017 before I'd ever heard of like Michael Saylor or whatever, right? I was using that to finance my Bitcoin and Ethereum buying. And I was like not able to sleep at night and all this stuff. It was crazy. And I was investing my mom's money too. It was nuts. I, I was younger then and like not thinking straight. Um, but I was like, I got so lucky. I sold most of that stuff. Um, I sold it, you know, before the real kind of crash happened in late December. Um, I just couldn't sleep. And so I, I sold. And so I, I like didn't lose all my money but i didn't forget how like i never forgot that experience of like watching everything go crazy like just collapse right and there uh that was my first time really seeing it um there were so many projects that said they were going to do something be something solve some problem whatever but there was like nothing there you didn't really have a way of interacting with them you could just buy their token or and go to their website um, but even that was enough to get me to be like way overly confident, you know? And so now I'm really trying, like there's, there's more to be con there's more reasons to be confident now, but I'm really trying to remind myself that like, uh, the goal is to not lose all your money. <laughs> like the goal is to not put yourself in a position where you're, a victim of the volatility, so to speak. So for me, that's just my personal outlook. And I, that's why I haven't really gone, I, like I just, I don't have any um, borrowed Luna. 
Um, not saying that I wouldn't do it necessarily, but I'm just dynamically dollar cost averaging into Luna and things like Luna that I have identified as being valuable to me. Um, you know, over time. And and I'm willing to wait like a year or potentially two years for a really good buying opportunity. Um rather and, and like put a lot of money into it rather than trying to trade like small movements uh or leverage to get more you know more more benefit i'm just not smart enough um and i want to live my life like i want to have a life outside of crypto i i think i think that's a key point like and honestly that that little phrase you're not smart enough that made the big difference for me when i came to the realization that i need to be into this long term i need to hold i need to just go at this slow right uh because i am not smart enough to hit the top and the bottom and all these things right it's it just doesn't once you come to that point you adapt your strategy and then you then you get a peace of mind because yeah I, I had times where i couldn't sleep too and i i didn't i didn't do nearly what it like i would never do what you did there with like loaning money and using like relatives money holy shit that is i i'd 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 never do that but that's just so risky to me but i and i've always been on the like i've never had more than maybe 30 percent of my net worth into crypto which means that i've always been able to say that hey if i lose everything I mean, it'll suck. It'll suck a lot, but it's not going to change my lifestyle at all. Um, And by creating that platform and that kind of thought process of this is my strategy because anything riskier, I don't have the time, patience or intelligence to deal with that. It means that you create a base platform of like a worst case scenario that you can deal with. And then if you want to build on top of that, you can do that, but you do it slowly. And you were talking about the Luna omics, like strategies and everything. I've started dabbling in it a little bit, but it's been two weeks, three weeks, and I haven't gone past the anchor borrow process because I want to feel, especially now with all the volatility, I don't, I'm I'm taking these risks because I, I need to give myself the time. And uh, so I think that's, it's, it's an amazing like mentality to have that you know play it safe and just hey either we're either this isn't gonna work crypto as a whole or we are early enough that if you just give it time to do its thing you're not gonna lose yeah exactly fundamentally my bet is that we're early and that this will be adopted by the average population and so i don't need to be smarter than average I just need to be early. And so I feel like I've taken care of that and I just need to be consistent. Like I, I used to, um, I've told, I think I've told this story before. I'm not sure, but I used to rent a cottage. Um, this guy, he was a retired finance graduate school finance professor. He made a killing in the 2008 crisis, you know, millions and millions of dollars trading the markets. And him and I used to chat all the time because we lived on the same, I I was a tenant on his property. And he did a lot of research into stock markets and trading. And he was a quantitative guy and uh, just a brilliant dude. 
And um, I used to ask them all the time, like, is it better to be smarter than average or early? And, you know, we would look at different things and it was just unequivocally, it's always better to be early than smarter than average. Like, I guess what I mean is being early makes up for not being smarter than average, like 100% of the time. And you really don't need to look very far to like prove this self this to you. Like anybody can buy real estate in the Bay Area in 1950s or 1940s, like regular people could buy that. And just because they got lucky, they were early. By the time they died, their wealth was many orders of magnitude, like or like an order of magnitude more than when they started. They didn't necessarily need to be geniuses, right? They could have been average or even below average intelligence, but they just happened to be early to a mega trend that unfolded around them. And so same thing with growth stocks. And, you know, if you just invested in the NASDAQ over the last, you know, 20 years, even with all the crazy volatility, um, you probably did great. Um, so that's how I look at it. I'm, the, the bet for me is two. there's two bets. I'm early. Am I early? right? Yes or no. And does this have network adoption potential? Does this have the potential to grow exponentially if people, if the average person comes into the space? Uh, If those two things are yes, then I just dollar cost average, ideally dynamically, as the price goes down and wait. And that's all I have to do. And then eventually, hopefully, if the thesis plays out, I'll be able to borrow against my assets and, uh, um, you know, have an income. That's, yeah, and that's 100% true. And the way I, like I said, the way I look at it is that there are a few things that we need in the crypto space to, to make it available for the public. And it's things that we don't really have yet. Uh-huh. So like I said, it, the one that we were mentioning before, an easy on-off ramp, right? Uh, and in the end, like the, the best way to do something is to create, you know, create like, and that's where all of these like different uh, payment apps will come in. Allow somebody to use to, and it's similar with games, right? Like if you want to make a good product, then that's the problem with crypto games now that it's a blockchain project first, a game later. Uh, second, but in the end, you want to be able to create a platform that tells that where the user doesn't know that they're using what they're whatever they're using, right? Um, that's that's number one. Number two is security because what happens a lot, and I got called out on that yesterday actually, um, where my friend effectively said, Okay, so what's the downsides with it? You always talk about the cool things, the, the cool projects, and um all the upside with it what's the what's the downside with it and it comes down to first of all there's no safety net you as an individual you have no safety net whatsoever i transferred this wasn't a crazy amount but it still hurt i transferred a thousand dollars of a token from one wallet to another as i was setting it up in metamask i added in the the token so I could see it and I sent the tokens to the contract and I just lost a thousand dollars like that there's no way for me to get it back nothing like that and you we can't like that and that's that's the way that's the way it works but that's a risk factor that 
when you deal with a bank, you don't have that. The other thing is insurances, security, and like the you know the government backup. Most of my money is still sitting in a bank account, not because I don't want that twenty percent with Anchor, but because if there's an issue, if the bank you know goes poof, the government will reimburse me. They they will cover me, and those are the things. Like it's all about security and ease of use. Once that happens. We'll, yeah, that, we'll that's, a, that's a, a great question, a great point. Because I, I often think my savings, if I if I would put my savings on anger right now, I would make, I could literally stop working and just leave off the 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 passive, the nineteen and a half percent income from from anger. Uh, we, uh, I have to to do a parenthesis here. I live very frugally. So <laughs> doesn't mean that I have a lot of money. I spend very little. But um, but my question is, and that's the point that I keep going back to in my head when I do that uh, that uh, on air math math. math uh, is it safe enough yet? Can I transfer all my fiat money to USD to Anchor, and will it be safe? I, I, I'm, yeah. I, I don't think about uh, dropping from nineteen to fifteen. For me, that's indifferent. As long as it's, it's sustainable, that that's mm-hmm. what I want. Uh, I just want sustainability, no, security, and sustainability. If yeah. it is fifteen and it is secure, that's perfectly fine by me. But is it safe enough yet already? Mm, I don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not completely sure. My, maybe by the end of this year, after this. Uh, this pullback or this bear market that we enter into uh, another trial by by bear market, <laughs> uh, maybe so, maybe a little bit more. What do you think? Yeah, I have some thoughts on that, actually. <clears throat> I think you're right that there's this need to feel safe in DeFi that is kind of currently unmet. Like if we, if we as like creators of DeFi were trying to um, if we were like meeting and saying, what do we need to do to make it better for regular people, like to lessen the friction or remove the obstacles for people to get into DeFi, definitely making it feel safer is 100% something we should focus on. Um, the reason I say feel though, is because fundamentally, if you trust the mathematics behind the cryptography, that ultimately is what underlies all of this crypto stuff, right? All these smart contracts, these tokens, everything fundamentally comes back to mathematical proofs that most people are not going to take the time to look at and understand. And many people just don't have the mathematical background to even know what they're looking at, right? And know that, oh, wow, this thing, this proof is actually more secure than the way my bank transfers money. When I transfer money with my bank, there's less chance that I'll have an issue with crypto than my bank will have an issue. That doesn't feel the same way because with the bank, you can call somebody. So even though the likelihood uh, that you'll lose money with crypto is less in terms of the, the math, the ability to call somebody psychologically is so like helpful so like it it creates so much less fear and anxiety that 
you know, having that there as whether it's an insurance option or some sort of community that people can turn to, like a Discord group or something, really helps people, you know, adopt the protocol. And that's actually, I heard that that was the reason Doe decided and the anchor team decided to add insurance to the protocol. Because ultimately, initially, what I heard is that they didn't really see a need for it. Because like, why? It kind of is weird, right? Like, well, don't you trust the math, you know? But then they realized from a user adoption perspective, it would help psychologically. So even if the insurance actually like is never used, it helps psychologically onboarding people just to know it's there. The other thing real quick is that technically the insurance company is still a point of risk because if you had a systemic event that uh, blew through the insurance protocol's reserves, we don't know what that would look like. You know, the insurance protocol could fail too. There's always existential risk with, with DeFi at some level in terms of things going insolvent. Um, yeah, that's, those, why you, that's why you want federally. Like, I mean, and I, I know that this this goes against uh, kind of the concept of DeFi and everything, but that's why to have a federally insured bank account to a certain amount, it's a security that the banks have. It's, right. it's a security net that they have that you don't have in DeFi, and I I don't I don't know how you would do that. Like, I I, I don't know. know. I don't know that you do. You know, I think that's one of those uh, base level, you know, things where it's like you just have to decide how much risk you're willing to take fundamentally um, because the reward that you get with DeFi is different than the reward you get with TradFi. And, and part of the core reason you get that reward is the things we're talking about here, you know, not, not having federal insurance and all that. One thing I, I will say, though, on a personal level, I think about ways of de-risking my crypto investments. So for example, at a certain point, I'm, I've thought about this a lot, and I'm not 100% certain I'm going to do this, but I'm getting more and more certain that this is what I'll do. At a certain point, I will borrow against my crypto holding and buy real estate with cash. Okay, So I will own that real estate, and then I have a hedge that can produce cash flow even if my crypto holdings go to zero. And that hedge is owned outright by me. And then what I'll do is if my crypto holdings go to zero, I will take out a reverse mortgage on that real estate so that I can further uh, you know, invest in other assets outside of my, my home to hopefully make up you know, the losses in some way through other income generating means. The other thing I'm thinking about is I will take out loans and buy business assets with cash so that I own the business outright, no financing, nothing. And that will also serve as an income generating hedge against my crypto investment. So on a personal level, there are ways I think that we can de-risk our crypto investments where I would feel comfortable having millions of dollars in crypto if I had two, three homes that I paid off completely that were mine you know, that I could rent out. If the crypto markets go to zero, I still have the homes. You know what I mean? So if I, yeah. And effectively, if you're, I mean, you're also saying effectively, if you're, if you do get liquidated, everything collapses, you still hold those properties. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I'm leaning more and more buying with cash. Um, 
Because yeah, I mean, that, that's a true hedge at that point. And it's the kind of hedge that can generate a yield, you know, not as much as DeFi, but, you know, hopefully if I buy correctly, like a decent. So those are the kinds of things I think about that help me mentally start to prepare myself for the, the time, which I'm sure will come, where I'm ready to like put significant, significant amounts of uh, resources into aim, you know? Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I apologize for interrupting. I'm I'm not sure that I that you that I that my point came across. What, what I meant by not feeling safe enough yet was more that we still rely, uh, or better yet, crypto in general still relies too much or is influenced too much by the. Um, by the sentiment uh, market indicator, which is spec not speculation, it's rumors, it's ignorance mixed with innuendo, mixed with uh, fud, mixed with uh, stupidity, basically. But but not all stupidity is bad because, as you said earlier, the math is so complicated that the vast majority of the people doesn't understand it and doesn't even have the means to understand it. Even though it is perfectly safe, they have to rely in the word of a third party, an insurance company, a third party uh, that they consider reliable uh, to tell them, no, this is safe, you can invest your money, which is what the fundamental basis of the fiat system which we, we live in. But um, because having your money secured by the government to to a level of uh, 20 or 50 or 100,000 doesn't mean anything when you lost 2 million, eh? you only have the bare minimum, which is the same thing as owning 100 uh, Luna and being liquidated and uh, being left with 10 is exactly the same thing. But um, what I mean is, I think that right now it is still too much. And we, can, we, we saw this in the last few days with this, uh, uh, the way that... Um, the Wonderland confusion uh, dragged the UST a little bit to it because of that uh, uh, DGN box. It's still too much um, FUD. It's still uh, uh, um, too much in, uh, too, a bigger um, influence in the price. So uh, spec uh, volatility doesn't happen like in the stock market where a, a big crash is 30%. 30% in crypto, it's more or less yesterday. It's normal. So you, 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 you know what I mean? That's why I, I say it isn't safe enough in that sense. Yeah, 100%. Not safe enough. Yeah, but that's where, that's where stable coins come in, right? I mean, that's the beauty. That's why I'm here. You know, I'm actually not here because of, although I love Luna, um, I'm here because of UST, you know? Uh, I, I agree with Doe. I think stable coins are the greatest, most important innovation uh, of crypto, on, you know, aside from the smart contract, you know. So more important in many ways, I think, than Bitcoin in terms of usefulness. So, yeah. I 100% I agree with that. And I think one of the big things that we should keep an eye out for uh, when it comes to security and backing insurance wise and all those things is just to add on to what you were saying there is Lentum is look for reinsurance companies 
because when they enter the space, that's when the big I, that's when the big uh, safety nets come in. Whenever you have reinsurance companies that are opening up for crypto, that's when you're going to have big safety nets all of a sudden uh, build up. So that's that that's the big that's going to be a big catalyst for security and safety. What what is that product? Security products in the crypto world. But first, first, yeah, we're gonna need a reinsurance company to uh, say to the rest of the world that hey, we're willing to get involved in this. And I think it'll happen because there's a lot of money to be made. But before we have that, it's just gonna be up to the individual insurance companies. They don't. They deal with stuff like you know earthquakes and stuff like that. They don't deal with crypto yet. But but yeah, it, it, when that happens, we'll see we'll see a big change in uh, crypto security and like security in your money. But do you do you think that um, Terra as an ecosystem can uh, transmit that uh, sense of notion of safety to the rest of the crypto communities? I mean, users on other blockchains uh, through the stability. Uh, of the, the 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 network itself, the blockchain itself, but also the quality and the stability of the protocols that are built. Because as as a newcomer to the to the to the to the ecosystem, that's one of the things that made me go almost all in on Terra and on Luna and UST was the not only the 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 thing that the best example of of this what I that I could give especially as a newcomer is the um, the um, the way that almost all the protocols on terra uh, share a common um, uh, ui experience and it's so clean so easy to understand so simple uh, no no crazy uh, names like uh, although all names on 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 crypto are crazy but no mm-hmm. names like uh, tomb and uh, and uh, grave and whatever, right. and um, you know what I mean. So that that's that was the first layer of making me feel that I could understand things better. It was easier for me to adapt as a newcomer. Easy to understand what they did, and not way too much information. Simple, direct. So what I mean is, can they double down on that and through proof of? Uh, quality of work uh, i don't know if you know what i mean but uh, continue to reassure the users that no we are a stable strong solid blockchain we are here to stay for many years this is just you, you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. i mean i i think they're doing it and i hope they continue to do it and it really feels with terra like it's a it's a blockchain and an ecosystem that's built for people, regular people, to use, you know? And the, it really does remind me of, like, when I was learning about Amazon and Jeff Bezos and this idea of, like, the customer is the most important thing, right? I feel like sometimes other protocols and blockchains, um, they get caught up in their own, like, you know, their own stuff. Like, they're... they're they're like building for themselves, right? They're building for other tech people. They're building for DGENs or whatever, right? Like I use Phantom. I, I use Phantom all the time. I enjoy 
some of the stuff that goes on on Phantom. But Phantom is not built for regular people. You know, you, you can you can teach somebody to use Phantom. It's not like super complicated, but everything about Phantom is not really positioned for like regular people. And for Phantom to rebrand and reposition itself and everything is like a big deal, you know, and especially as more time goes on, it's going to be harder, you know, because it just gets more and more Phantomy and less and less regular. <laughs> but like um, Terra is the opposite. I mean, Terra strikes me as like stripe or amazon or shopify or something like that where like it's built to onboard millions and billions of people and like i don't really play around too much with all the other terra apps like the protocols i mostly stick with anchor and um a few of the other things but you know even just that even just even just having one thing like anchor one thing like uh, alice right? Uh, an on-ramp, off-ramp, and maybe one or two other things like a Dex, like Astroport. And, and just, we don't need like a few, we, we don't need a many things, right? I mean, just getting a few of those things right and, and delivering just an unbeatable, incredible end-user experience um, is how Terra wins, like wins it all, basically. Um, and I, I want to live in a multi-blockchain, multi-network you know, network world, but I also fundamentally believe that at the end of the day, crypto should be, it should exist to make people's lives better. And it should exist to make people's lives less complicated. You know, I want the project that does that the best to win. Yeah, going back to uh, what I was uh, telling you earlier that this weekend, I onboarded for the first time uh, to crypto and to Luna and to, to Terra uh, through Luna, uh, a friend of mine. The easiest way that I knew how to do it was, okay, this is a blockchain. It's a decentralized way of keeping record of things. Uh, maybe a, a totally dumb way of explaining it, but it was understandable, more or less. And this is Terra. Uh, and here, this is Anchor. You can deposit your money and you earn 19.5% and you can borrow and depending on the amount that it's being borrowed and market conditions, sometimes they even pay you to borrow. Um, and she completely understood it. Why? Because it looks like her bank. Oh, okay. I deposit my money on my bank. I earn interest or very little or very much. Doesn't matter. I can also borrow money from them. She completely understood it and felt safe utilizing it. Also, the, the platform itself helped because it's super simple, direct. The wallet is super clean. Also, the whole experience was very user-friendly, especially to a newcomer. And in the space of 30 minutes into arriving in the crypto or DeFi world, if you'd like, she bought three Luna. Know what I mean? Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was in Puerto Vallarta this last year, just kind of... Um, traveling around and uh, decided to teach a, a class on DeFi, like a free class, offer it to whoever wanted to show up. And I think like 20 or 30 people showed up and I just showed them Anchor and all this. And it was really, it was really awesome. Um, you know, a lot of times in less developed countries with like not as much opportunity for people financially, they can't really borrow. Um, you know, for a reasonable rate, 
right? I think we, we talked about this before in these spaces. I think Greece, maybe you were on that call, or maybe it was a different space. But uh, yeah, you know, I mean, think about it like there's unbelievable potential in these countries in terms of human potential. Like there's genius kids who could change the world. There's amazing, you know, parents that if only they had a little bit more access to income, they could maybe start a business or send their kid to school or or whatever, you know, like we could potentially using things like Anchor, Para, crypto in general, DeFi, like we could make the world a much better place by unlocking a ton of opportunity for people that normally just don't have access to it. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's super important that these, that DeFi and like crypto works for regular people, I think, because we can all like, you know, go down the rabbit hole of trying to develop fun things that have crazy high APYs and we all get rich as like a tiny little community, right? But that doesn't really interest me. Like that doesn't really change the world in the way that the internet changed, right? What changes the world is like you create a self-repaying loan and somebody can take out, you know, $2,000 and afford to take that programming class in Mexico and then they get a job because and then they are able to pay off their loan and take another loan out, another cl- couple of classes, and maybe they get hired and they can have a family. And now, you know, their children can go to school and blah, blah, blah. Like it just goes, 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 you know, and um, and over like a lifetime that changes so much. And, and that's why that's why I think it matters, like what is happening here and why it's worth fighting. For. Yeah, I, I and that's that's part of like I've, I've picked two ecosystems to that i'm interested in and one is terra the other one is cardano uh and i think cardano does well they don't do it yet but they are they're looking towards the like making crypto available and as you know as a tool to improve um for that kind like those kind of parts of the world and whether it ends up being a money grab or if it works or not, that's that's a big question, right? But they, I, I think that's like that's a primary function, but behind like, the primary motive behind Cardano to open up those opportunities by using crypto, and it's um, they have like they have that at the forefront to a different degree than I think any, any other really ecosystem has. Um, I think Terra has the potential with with its unique or not unique, but y- you know I'm gonna call it a unique stablecoin situation. Um, that to become like make something easily adoptable and like make something mainstream and easy for everyone to use. Um, I th- think they have that opportunity, um, but. But yeah, so we'll we'll see we'll see how it plays out. I'm 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 definitely I'm interested in it. But and you know, seeing things like Angel Protocol and all these things and the opportunities that are coming out with all these new protocols, it's it's exciting. <laughs> can sure. I can I ask a, a off-topic question? Sure. It, it is it is the first time that I've um, um, so I'm recent here. I'm recent in 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 Terra. Uh, and um, it's the first time that I joined uh, an AMA or a call here on the on the chain on the channel on the 
Discord server. Uh, and I'm, I'm loving the, the conversation right now. Does this uh, happen often? Uh, I think a couple times a week there's events inside this Discord server. Yeah, this is the Orbital Command, um, kind of like one of the main communities in Terra. And uh, we usually have um, a couple different kind of presentations and educational talks. And then sometimes after the talk, people stay in chat. And then there's also, so yeah, I would say it happens like a couple times a week. And then there's also uh, Twitter spaces, um, which Finn and the Terra spaces, um, you can go on their website and like terraspaces.org. You can see like a schedule of um, all the upcoming different like Twitter spaces and events and things like that. I've been been following that also, but I but I was uh, but I I meant is it normal to stay after the call like we are doing now and and talking about uh, a lot of different things that go around uh, Terra and that also happens. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I because usually... it's amazing. I'm loving it. I I love to as the conversation goes along, we we talk about different things and ask different questions and explore. Uh, different teams and it, it's I'm, I, 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 it's it's the first time that I that I've seen this on a, a crypto community and I'm loving it so that's why I was asking if it's normal yeah. for you to do this <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I mean I like doing this kind of stuff so if I'm in a conversation and I don't have too much going on then I'll like I'll, I'll, I'll keep bringing stuff up and talking with people but I don't know how it is when I'm not this is only my like second or third time in one of these ah. Maybe yeah. maybe it says that <laughs> that our newcomers and okay, it could be the, the one thing that's really and this is the thing that's why I even the reason why I joined this Discord to begin with was because the potential of a community to bounce ideas off with to get exposure to people that are smarter than like Lunaomics was the beginning like where I started looking into this and then. Obviously, like, thank you for like, I would say like Orbital Command for like, you know, setting this up, uh, this Discord and everything and everything they do for the community because it's this is one of like I was even starting to dig in and figuring out okay if we don't have this I need to figure out how to create this a community where you can just come and just go into like the Terra ecosystem get the support answer to the questions that you need and all these things. Don't um, be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask the dumb questions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you'd rather. I might have said this earlier today, but it's it's always better to ask the stupid questions than to make the stupid mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I I think that I've been in crypto for a while now, and I think that the Terra community, you know, is is pretty much the best community in crypto that I've come across. Uh, generally, I mean, I don't know most guys personally, but in the interactions online, like generally like really good people, really kind people, open-minded people, curious people, you know. Um, so just like Tara does a really good job as a as an ecosystem of like creating a great user experience, like we have an opportunity, I think, community to create a really good community experience. And and that will also like become known in crypto. It might take I don't know, a year, two years, whatever, but it'll grow like the rep the reputation that we have of being like a good community, a kind community, you know, uh, that will spread and people will come here 
because they want that, you know? And so we'll attract good people. And um, I think it's great. Like, I'm excited to see what happens over the next year or two as this community grows. Um, because I think we all are going to learn so much from each other. And who knows, like, maybe at some point we'll have in-person events. Like, uh, I was thinking about hosting an in-person Terra event in my town. It's kind of a big city in the U.S. I think I'd probably find some people that would attend that. and. Um, yeah, it's just going to grow organically, I think. It's gonna, I think I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And you always have to remember also that for the people that know more than you do, it's not a bad thing for them, Like especially like when you're vocal and you have ideas and you have questions. Like, for example, with you, Salentum, right? It's... Uh, it's really it's a good it's a good process for somebody let's say that we would have c5 or somebody in here that knows a lot more than we do right being able to like ask them questions and talk to them it doesn't just help you it answers your questions great but it also enforces their because by teaching they learn and if you can't communicate properly what you know um then it might very well be wrong by being challenged on it and by being forced to educate others or not forced, but by educating others, it is really helpful. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I'm always happy to jump around and explain to people and talk. Cause if I find that I can't explain it myself properly, I like, I, I don't, I'm not satisfied because that means that I don't understand it myself. It's why I've been dedicating so much time to Prism lately because I couldn't explain it to other people. I'm I'm getting there. Uh, like I think I can, I can actually go into the protocol and explain it now and everything that comes around it. But before you, until you get there, there's like, do you really know what you're talking about, right? So it's it's a win win for everyone, and I think that's it's a good thing for the whole community because it encourages people helping others because it actually helps themselves too. Awesome. You guys, well, I got to jump. I've been ignoring my work for the last few hours here, (laughs) but yeah, this is what happens when you get into these groups though. It's like, it can be dangerous, uh, distracting for me, but yeah, it was great chatting with you guys. And, um, you know, I'm I'm sure I'll see you around, uh, these discord spaces again. That's, uh, Definitely. And yeah, it's like you said, it's probably good to close it down. I'll be in here for a few more minutes, but, uh, but yeah, we're going to be, I need to find something to eat. <laughs> and I need to go to, and I need to go to bed because in Europe it's already midnight. So, uh, thank you very much for your patience and your knowledge answering all the, the stupid questions or the, the newbie questions. And I hope I'm able to, uh, ask, a lot more of them, and um, and uh, thank you very much. It was truly a pleasure, and I've learned, which is the best, the the thing that I most love to do. That's awesome. Well, you guys have a good morning, day, evening, night, whatever it is, wherever you are, and uh, yeah, I'll see you guys around. Ciao. Bye. See you.
Thanks for checking out another episode of The Ether. That was the Advious Chat, recorded live in the Terra Investment Strategies Discord server on Monday, January 31st, 2022. This episode of The Ether is brought to you by Orbital Command, a community validator on Terra dedicated to educating, expanding, and promoting the lunatic community. Visit OC's What We Do page using the link in the show notes to take advantage of some of their other educational resources, including weekly meetups to discuss Terra protocols, strategies, and concepts, the Terra Luna Intel report on Telegram, and YouTube explainer videos on Terra concepts. You can also support their community efforts by considering them next time you're delegating or redelegating your Luna. Find out more at orbitalcommand.io. This episode of the Ether is also brought to you by Talus. Talus Protocol is the NFT platform for independent artists on Terra. Talus helps to provide artists with the tools and resources needed to transition from traditional arts into the NFT world. With their V1 launch coming soon, Talus will be the place to see real-world art reflected on Terra. Find your next favorite artist on talus.art. Make sure to join their Telegram and follow Talus on Twitter for updates on their roadmap, validator, and other Talus news. For more information, check out Talus online at talus.art. TerraSpaces appreciates the support from all our sponsors. For TerraSpaces.org, I'm Finn. Thanks for listening. Reading in a book, yo, I learned something nifty. The CIA was feeding people acid in the 50s. Some people knew it. Most of them didn't. It was like a little game they invented. Sandos had the plug, it was all about the research Gotta get turned on, hollering me first Government reaction is always kinda knee-jerk Not exactly what I'd like to see out of my leaders Zen lunatics trying to see the other side Everybody likes to hide and seek when the dose is high Paranoid like, people are watching me Well that's because, people are watching, see? If DMT is the Niagara of epiphanous beauty And psilocybin treats your mind like a movie LSD wasn't the mind control they wanted So they kept designing and different drugs to haunt us. You are an explorer, and you represent our species. And the greatest good you can do is to bring back a new idea, because our world is endangered by the absence of good ideas. Our world is in crisis because of the absence of consciousness. Consciousness. Just another night in the cabin, camping. Three drops hit in each tongue like, well, that happened. Feeling like a weird alien on this planet I'm just passing through staring at these inhabitants They didn't know provocateurs infiltrating lock your doors Trying to start a quiet riot so they could mop the floors Used to slay the forage waiting for the drum roll And that's what happens when cutthroats get all the control Acting all manic, the passion is frantic The visuals are magic, so let your mind brandish This little weapon of mass dysfunction Red dawn down, now we're tripping with the rushes Reading in a book, yo, I learned something nifty The CIA was Feeding people acid in the 50s Some people knew it Most of them didn't And you wonder why we harbor such resentment Dicks. My notion of what the psychedelic experience is for Is that we each must become like a fisherman And go out onto the dark ocean of mind And let your nets down into that sea And what you're after is not some behemoth Exactly fits your nostril and stuff like that.